Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. It is WaitWhatPodcast.com. February brings us episode 264, in which Graham McMillan and I discuss Finland Saga, now that Graham has read the first volume, Young Justice Number 1, the Jackie Chan classic police story, the post-Kirby issues of New Gods, the first and presumably only two seasons of The Punisher on Netflix, the recent Justice League Annual, the official announcement of our next read-through podcast, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan. Hello. Let me tell you something hilarious. Please do. Has your Skype updated recently? Yes, just today. And strange colors now? Oh, that I don't... Uh, share your screen. No, that I didn't have. What happened is... Oh, my, my Skype is now like... This call screen I have for you is like a gradiated purple. Really? Oh, wow. You've got the cool things going on. I guess your initials are purple, but I'm not seeing anything cool like that. What happened was I was like about a minute late, and as soon as I opened up Skype and said to call you, it was like, oh, I don't have, you don't, you have to grant us uh, access through your privacy tab to use the microphone. And I was like, <laughs> what? Oh. Since when? Yeah, but here's the funny thing, Jeff. That happened to me months ago now. Um, really? I want to say in like September, October, and I didn't realize what it was, and I was like, never mind. And then I couldn't use my microphone <laughs> on my laptop at all. Ooh, yeah. I, at all, at all? Oh, that is. At, at all, at all. For I like, I had to go back in and change like a, a root setting. Oh my god, that's horrific. So yeah, so basically, like when those bubble windows appear, pay attention to what you click because I didn't. <laughs> and listeners, I paid the price. <laughs> That's terrible. That is terrible. Yeah, yeah it was absolutely nuts. Because I honestly was like, well, my headset's broken. Well, that's annoying. But mm -hmm. okay, sure. I guess that's what's happened. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that drives me nuts is um, uh, I'm getting all these messages now. Pretty much when I open just about any program on my Mac, there's the pop-up that it's like, this has not been optimized for 32 bits. Please contact your developer as this... You know, and and Wait, I'm like, so it's not going to work. Uh, there's, I'm, I think my understanding is is that there is um, the the my this will probably be the funniest part of the episode is me trying to imagine what that tech talk actually means. My my assumption is is that I'm running a you know a more advanced Mac. You know that the processing system has to they have to have support for like smaller bit programs and they're getting tired of doing it and they're like hey you've got to tell your you know tell your developer that at some point we're going to stop supporting this we're just going to move to they've got to have native 32 oh, bit programs you know that's amazing and i actually just googled it while you were talking there and apparently that's been going on since april last year and i don't think i've seen that one. Oh my god i see it all the time <laughs> i think that's probably the difference between you you editing in GarageBand and me editing in audacity because and also because i do call recorder 
you know, to record our podcasting, like I've got a couple of different ancillary programs tied to this podcast that I use all the time. And, and it just has, you know, Mac just has a hissy fit. Like the, the text editor that I use to edit the RSS feed, you know, it's always telling me like, oh, this is not supported. Oh. You know, so it's like. Hopefully it says it like that. No. Oh, God. No. Not to all. This isn't supported. Oh, no. No. I would like to think that if the Mac OS had a voice, it would be very much like that. You know? <laughs> Like, uh, uh, this is, uh, like the, this is uh, the person who the third or fourth person that lost to Kelsey Grammer's role of Frasier on Cheers, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh. That's actually moving a little more from that into the Cowardly Lion, which would also be a great voice. Oh my god, I love this one. Uh, uh, I do believe in spooks. I do. I do. That'd be, uh, uh, off to a strong start. Indeed. Indeed. Listeners, we're recording this, uh, the day before Super Bowl Sunday. And I say that as someone who just learned yesterday that (laughs) Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. I was going to ask if you were excited. Uh, and then I, I realized I shouldn't because you might go, yeah, I'm really, really into it. And then ask me who the teams are playing. And I'd be like, it's, uh, right. Uh, I, I know nothing. <laughs> no. In fact, Edie and I were talking today and I'm like, who's playing? And she's like, uh, Patriots versus the Rams, apparently. That's what she She got the Rams right. And then I don't remember if she got the Patriots. I don't, I don't. And I, I'll be honest. I know that cause I just Googled it. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, anyway, so yes. So for those of you who are who are prepping your I, I was going to say prepping your Super Bowl party uh, stuff while listening to us, for those of you cleaning up your Super Bowl party while listening to us, um, you can feel safe in knowing we had no idea what was going on. Are you are, I forget. I, I, God help me. The sad part is we've been doing this long enough. I know I've asked this, but I no longer remember. Are you one of those types that like will watch just to watch the commercials, you know? No, no, I'm okay. not. I am not. Um, I was, oh, God, a while ago now. But there used to be, because they, they do movie trailers. Right. They, they debut movie trailers. And there was at least a couple of years where, like, I had to watch for the movie trailers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was particularly funny because I was like, I just I just don't get it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, the game itself, I'd be like, okay, sure. Like mm-hmm. is that good? I don't I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't understand the game. But you you are, I mean, if nothing else, like it's not like the concept of watching a 4-hour program just for the commercials. Uh that didn't seem weird to you, did it? Cuz I'll be honest, if, oh, no, 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 it 100% did. 100% oh, okay, did. good, good. Because that's always seemed weird to me. I've got a couple of friends who do it. I'm sure there's some listeners who do it because it is kind of a, you know, I'm, people who think of it as kind of a tradition. Like, oh, yeah, I went to watch the commercials because these are when the best of the best. And I'm just always kind of like, uh, really? Like, you know, like movie trailers are about the only type of commercial apart from all the commercials i saw in japan which probably don't count where i'm like i can watch it for its own sort of intrinsic entertainment value and be kind of not have at least a a minor um undercurrent 
of being skeeved out by the idea that I am voluntarily watching something that's trying to sell me something. Sure, yeah. Uh, I, I, but I mean, is that not we're in a weird cultural moment and honestly have been i think for you know more than a decade now mm-hmm. where movie trailers are their own thing almost like you get trailers for the trailers now yeah right. you know mm-hmm. and that's again somehow already seems okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to absolutely insane which is what it actually is right right um but it's true like you know uh, i was watching the the fast and the furious trailer yesterday. yes uh-huh exactly and like that was great, but at the same time, that's almost like all I need to see of that movie. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. you, you've seen it, right? The the new yes. one, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Yes, yes, I have. And it's just like the most insane thing. Is it? Like it? It's wonderfully shameless. Yeah. It it is it is genuinely. Um, my first thought, honestly, was like old 1970s, 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's it's so utterly like okay we started as like the franchise where people drove cars in, in flashy ways then they drove bigger cars in flashy ways then they were saving the world now there's a superhero yeah that, you know and it's like this is utterly like wacky on, on the one hand part of me is glad that they are doing the here's a person with superpowers in the spinoff universe because it's very easy to just kind of you know if the movie isn't a hit which honestly after looking at that trailer it's kind of hard to imagine it not being at least successful um it's i kind of had that thing like uh it's so funny because you know i'm someone who who uh ended up as you know have have raved about the fast and the furious movies you know, starting from like five on. And one of the things that's amazing about them is, is that, um, is, well, basically is that people already have superpowers. They just don't actually are. They don't call it that. Yeah, exactly. It's just, they just have an, it's like a Jack Kirby comic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Jack Kirby can tell a story about like, I don't know, the losers. And you're still going to see things that defy, reality you know or physics and yet that works and sort of similarly in the fast and the furious some of the the tumbles or the jumps or the car things i'm like okay this all works when you actually bring something into it that sort of is like oh but now i am specifically a physically superior super dude it's kind of uh, a uh, we'll just see where it goes you know it's like part of me was i kind of had that thing of like uh, i don't know if i like this you know but yeah what i mean in a way whatever the the only and i have to say like i absolutely i dug the trailer i especially especially thought the the way that they played with the soundtrack was great Yes, this, it, it, the soundtrack is is a joy in that trailer, yeah. and hopefully something they follow through to the movie itself. I I kind of hope so. I mean, you have to figure. I mean, if if the dudes who edited the Suicide Squad trailer did such a good job that DC was like, oh fuck it, let's just give them the movie, you know, and see what happens. Like, I can't imagine. No, no, remember, let's give them half the movie. Well, they gave them the movie, and then they only integrated half of it, right? Isn't that the way that it worked? 
Yeah, something like that. All I know is they only edited. They only ended it. I'll try it again. They ended up only editing half of it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, who who knows? Who yeah. knows? But yeah, that that trailer was absolutely nuts. But like I was saying, like there's something about that trailer where I'm like, I'm weirdly okay with like trailers being a thing in and of themselves because I feel satisfied enough from that trailer. Well, yeah, that's like true. I feel more entertained by that trailer alone right. than I have done with some films I've seen. Right. Right. Well, I guess, and I suppose that's it. There is some weird element of a film trailer is such a, it's, it's such a, um, it's, it's like an excerpt of a larger piece. I mean, it could be, it can be fraudulently excerpted and assembled, you know, in the sense of, you know, but like the Suicide Squad trailer, right? Right, exactly. Whereas, like, this is nothing like what it's going to be. But, but I guess for whatever reason, I'm sort. I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, and, and this is probably just a bad faith argument, but for whatever reason, movie trailers for me have always felt like enough of a. It's like a sampler of a thing that it doesn't actually quite serve the same purpose as. Like, oh, Apple gave Spike Jones like a, you know, million, jillion bucks to come up with like this six minute dance piece to promote the Apple Siri doesn't work sure. as well yes. as Alexa pod, you know? Yes, yes. And, and so and so and in that point, there's this way of I, I don't know. It's it's a it's amazing to me that we're really looking at this idea that, you know, commercials which were kind of this strange uh strangely benign form of uh evil at least in terms of the way that it manipulates the aesthetic experience to mutate it into a uh a way to sort of goad you into buying things like is now in the 21st century where it's like Facebook is paying teenagers $20 a month to like upload screenshots of their Amazon order list, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's gotten like, we've somehow managed to take something that was kind of a lesser evil and turn it into like a far, far greater evil in some ways. Like, it's like, Oh, that's, really gross and so maybe consequently as a part of which i find myself looking at things like movie trailers which you know i've always enjoyed since a kid was always sort of a thing that i was into um i i still enjoy them now but they and and like you said they've become more of their own thing um they're they're sort of a destination in and of themselves on the internet uh and and yet at the same time i can't help but feel like Oh, this thing that I like is—it's uh, probably wrong. It's probably deeply wrong that I like this. You know, it's—it's <laughs> it's such a. I mean, I wonder how much of your, you know, intellectual line in the sand between movie trailers and other commercials, is because movie trailers are theoretically advertising works of art. Mm-hmm. As much as we can call like a movie a work of art, right? But you know, it's more of a work of art than a toothpaste. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or like an, a phone, mm-hmm. or, or or whatever, and you know, 
already I can feel people disagreeing with me on that. But sure. Go with me on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, I remember, and, and I, you know, I'm sure you have similar memories. Like there were moments where, especially in the UK, where the Super Bowl isn't really a thing, or at least wasn't when I was a kid, mm-hmm. where Super Bowl commercials would become like news stories. Yes. Right. Right. And I remember like that happening for the first few years and being kind of like, what is like, it's an advert. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Exactly. Why, why is it a news story that it's an advert? Right. But, but it was like, and, and in the UK at least, like initially, the the, the adverts were um, not just, uh, or the news stories were were not just like it's an advert, but like it's an advert that someone paid X amount of dollars, which is ludicrous to air. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was simultaneously uh, 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 sharing the 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 experience and condemning the experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know trying to trying to have it both ways trying like to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like fair and balanced <laughs> you've got to have both sides <laughs> um, but but it was like it but i remember really clearly being like this is weird and like i it was and i'm not even sure if it was all if it was all super bowl adverts because like it was the the um the budweiser one with the frogs and swamp you yeah. know, and was that Super Bowl commercial? Was that just a really popular commercial? But that was like a news story in the UK. Yeah, right. And the, the What's Up commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- absolutely. Well, I think that was a Super Bowl commercial to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Right. And some of them were and then became even more ascended Super Bowl commercials or – yeah, no. It's – although now that I now that we're talking about it, isn't there a thing where like doesn't – doesn't is it Tesco or whatever has like a big Christmas – Advert. John Lewis. Every year, John Lewis's Christmas advert is a thing now. There we go. Right. Um, and it's normally because, I mean, they they don't they make tearjerkers. They really do. They make like one minute short films mm-hmm. where no one is buying anything, mm-hmm. and John Lewis is never mentioned. But it is literally a commercial to make you go, "I love my, you know, family, pets, right? You know, whatever." And then, then it'll be like, John Lewis. And you literally go, oh, God. Oh, I oh, I should show them that I love them. John Lewis probably sells something that I could buy to show them that I love them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's the same thing. But it is. It's it, The John Lewis Christmas commercial has become so, like the British version of the, the Super Bowl ads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's uh, – how long is how long has that been going on? I mean – I'm going to say five years, and I'm sure people in Britain will be like, no, it's much longer or shorter. But right, right. It, it doesn't feel like much longer than five years to me. Oh, okay. So it's relatively recent phenomenon. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. lags far behind the, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl commercial madness. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing. Hey, talking about uh, movie trailers, as we just were, what did you think of the, the Birds of Prey not trailer from earlier this week? Uh, I, you know, Graham, I, I gotta tell you that that was, um, uh, I, I quote unquote watched it like three times. <laughs> I was going to say it's like 17 seconds, Jeff. You can't really be like, well, I, you know, I sat down for a good hour. Wait, you, <laughs> I, you, I sat down for a good hour watching 90 times. I, I probably could have, or I could have spent an hour, like, it, it was the first real trailer, like, 
as as you know, Graham, and I apologize because I'm sure in your time you've been forced to write some some variant on one of these. But a trailer will drop, and uh, entertainment websites will be like, "We break down the latest Easter eggs in you know the Kong Skull Island oh, oh, trailer." Oh yes, I have written many of those, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I and I've been on the other side of that, which is have an opinion about this trailer. Yes. Right. And you're like, it's 10 seconds of footage that does nothing apart from show a logo. Right. Right. Like how, how do I do that? Yeah. 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 Those, those are, those are things that I'm not inexperienced in. Jeff. Yes, exactly. So for me, I, the, the closest thing I can really say about the Harley Quinn teaser is after watching it three times, I was like, this is the first thing that I think I've ever seen where I would need to go online and read the article breaking it down because it's a bunch You're of like, cause I don't, I don't, I don't know what this is. Right. I don't know who these people are. I, I have no idea. It's a bunch of super fast shots of people. Nothing is literally registering on my old tired eyes, except the third time through, I was like, Oh, that's a crossbow. And you know, it's a lingering <laughs> shot on a fucking crossbow. You know what I mean? I like, actually, I, I've got to be honest. I really like that trailer. Basically, I'd say trailer, like literally 15 seconds of footage um, for that very purpose. It feels like it's this random. It's like the Joker trailer, the, the Hakeem Phoenix Joker trailer, which I also love. Mm-hmm. Where, where they're like this weird, you know, it's not a trailer. It's, you know, it's, it's 10 seconds. It's 15 seconds of, of just here's a snippet of music and something that will barely register in your brain. Right. Right. So at least the Joker thing, I had a different feeling of, as I recall, take on or whatever. This one was, I guess if I cared enough, I should read the article so I can see the snippets and flashes of who these people are supposed to be by somebody who actually had to freeze frame their way through this thing. But A, I don't care enough to even do that. And B, I also kind of had a weirdly negative reaction to it. Um, maybe because, because, I guess because at the, at the end of it, when Marco Robbie's like slinking around and laughing, I was like, she kind of doesn't look like she's enjoying this. Like it's, it really seems like it was the kind of thing that everyone insisted they had to put together about four hours before they did or something. Well, yeah, I mean, bear in mind, I want to say they started shooting the film mm-hmm. like maybe last week. So right. it, it literally must have been one of the first things they did. If not, it's, you know, footage from the costume trials Yeah, that they put out there. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, I, I mean, I like the Joker right. one. The Joker mm-hmm. one was a makeup test. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think probably because of the strong response to that people thought like oh we should do this and and i also have to say that for whatever reason part of me was like uh okay i guess i i it definitely doesn't feel like it will be a deadpool thing i suppose but it also kind of had a certain amount of you know like like, oh, this is – again, it feels like it's a thing that only will have – anyone can only have any sort of reaction to, um, you know, unless they have a YouTube channel devoted to that or they uh, have to go through it 
care enough to go through it frame by frame in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, it, in, ah, so okay. in that sense, it felt kind of very, um, a weird, like doubling down or a, a weird sort of form of, um, a, a for the fans sort of, uh, teaser, I suppose, rather than a sort of, oh, this is for everyone and it's going to win you over kind of thing. I mean, it's clearly in that sense, not, not that. So anyway, all of which is to say, I guess I found it baffling and semi-annoying. And I'm also kind of annoyed at you for not explaining who the, all the people are in the gram. So it's, 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 um, it's the Birds of Prey. It's Black Canary and Huntress and uh, Ewan McGregor's in there is, oh God, who Victor Zaz or whatever the no, villain is he's Black playing. Black Mask, I think. Oh, Black Mask, yeah, Victor Zaz. What's it Victor Zaz is? He's he's in some other movie project now. Oh, is he? Huh. Yeah, I can't remember which. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's all of it's literally just the, the main characters of the of the movie. Mm. Um, what is really funny about you saying that is, a, I liked it. Mm-hmm. B, the most positive people, the most positive responses I heard from people on the day it was released were from people uh, who had absolutely no idea mm. about the characters at all. Mm-hmm. And who got a really strong response to it because it felt like a statement of intent that it wasn't Suicide Squad 2. Hmm. Well, I that, mean... That, that there, was, right. that there was a very strong, like, oh, it's a different type of film. This this film may be more in, in tune with my quote-unquote aesthetic. But also, it's not going to be Suicide Squad 2. Hmm. Um, there, yeah, the, the, the strongest responses I, I heard were from people who didn't know the characters well that's great and i'm clearly wrong but uh, but again part of me was like well i'm wondering if you're in this weird space where like you simultaneously know enough about the characters to know that like they're supposed to be particular characters and you don't recognize them and so like that alienates you but also you don't care about the characters enough to actually like do anything more than be annoyed by it well, if that makes sense. I, I mean, it's 15 seconds, Graham. Again, no, no, I, I know, watched I know, it like... three times. I feel like the shots of people were so subliminal. And this could just be, I'm oh, just I, old. I'm not, not trying to talk you into, I'm not trying to talk you into liking it. No, I'm no. just wondering, like, you know, you you basically said, like, you know, I think it was alienating to everyone except for super fans. Right. I, I, well, I yes, like, I, you don't I, you know, have I that experience. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, I wonder if it's because you know that these are meant to be people. And that, it's like my response to seeing things about the, um, the Fox show, The Gifted. Mm-hmm. Right. I know they're supposed to be X-Men characters. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, I look, like, they don't look like anyone I know about. I, I'm, I like, I'm exhausted by this already. I, I guess what you I'm know? saying is, is that, I didn't recognize this with the with apart from Margot Robbie. I literally did not recognize the people as people. They looked like silhouettes against some sort of background, like colorful backgrounds that were maybe changing for the different characters. But I literally didn't see like I couldn't like I said, the crossbow, which is that sort of second shot that is held on for like two or three seconds. I finally caught. But everything else, I'm literally like like I didn't see uh i just didn't recognize anyone and 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 so i guess what i'm saying is is like i'm sort of like how can someone be excited by 15 seconds of footage if they weren't fans if they didn't at least try and pause and see it you know what i mean like because i just feel like i don't know hold on maybe i should cue this up um (laughs) 
and, and oh, try wait, watching it again. Be, yeah, I was going to say this like, could it be like when I watched that whatever it was called, the James Gunn produced one. Oh, oh my did God. you hear you heard, you heard the James Gunn quote unquote news slash rumor? Yes, uh, yes. Although I don't know, I don't know which particular are you talking the, that he is supposedly going to direct Suicide Squad in addition to writing it. Okay. I had heard a Suicide Squad related rumor about him a while ago, and the next yes. rumor that I heard, courtesy of, because I really have been trying to, to I, I've dramatically amped down my visits to Bleeding Cool, but I swear to God, at one point someone was like, you know, is crypto the super dog going to end up being in the Suicide Squad? Because James Gunn has apparently expressed interest in crypto, and everyone yeah, and that that's that's um, bleeding cool getting it apparently getting like wires crossed. Apparently, James Gunn was hilariously going to write a crypto movie before he got hired to write Suicide Squad. Right, which makes sense to me. Um, okay, here's the Birds of Prey first look trailer. The great part is it's. 15 seconds i was gonna say we like we could literally you know by the time i finish the sentence it could be over yeah all right hold on her feet someone walking wait how can there's I someone drinking I'm, I'm watching it on this uh on my ipad there's a baseball bat there's a bunch <laughs> of faces seriously there's a bunch of faces and then jack it's okay to not like it it's fine i'm not trying to talk you into liking it i graham i'm i'm not saying that i don't like it i'm saying I literally cannot see it. It is literally moving faster than my poor That's... brain can work. So I'm saying that apparently, A, I am old, and B, <laughs> the fact that you're like, people are like, I like that, but I'm not a super fan, is I'm like, then you're probably lying because that was like 15 seconds and there's nothing there to like. It's almost like a jeans ad if they showed the jeans in like subliminal, sh you know, it's like it's practically a subliminal uh, uh, YouTube video thing. I feel like, you know, I now no longer need to smoke, you know, like <laughs> so that's all. I'm just I, I know it sounds like I'm being defensive, but I'm I, I'm being defensive for reasons other than the fact that it's like defensive about not liking it. It's defensive over the idea of like, Graham, I'm clearly I've reached some crucial point slash media has reached a crucial point wherein I will be unable to participate in quote unquote teaser trailers from this point out because you're like everyone I talked to liked it. And I'm no, like, I've not, it was no, a not, second and a half long. How can anyone even understand it? You know, and that's my thing. That's the problem. I'm. I'm officially too old, and that's what I'm defensive about. So, whereas Hobbs and Shaw was like a four-minute trailer, it did feel like watching a whole movie. Ho Ho yeah, I was gonna say Hobbs and Shaw. I think it really is like the regular trailer. I think it's only like two minutes, but it feels much longer. It really does. It feels it's really packed so much really, in there. Yeah, it's really seriously. Impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just crazy the amount of stuff packed in. Okay, let's actually look up Hobbs and Shaw and see how long it is. Isn't it? I could have sworn that it was like at least three minutes, but. Maybe not. Uh, let's look. It's, uh, okay, how long are you? See, this is the problem. It's 
256. It's, it's 256 with the the weird like you know right 26 uh, seconds of it being subscribed to our channel yeah, sign yeah, up I'm here like, for more hobs like here's and a clip and here's a clip and here's a clip and here's the local and here's the trailer which yeah. I still don't get what on YouTube the f- tra- uh, I know what is that what is that yeah, I was hoping that you who work in in this field no, I, would be I, able I, to yeah. explain okay because I got to tell you. Ah, yes, everyone, welcome to Get Off My Lawn, the uh, the latest installment of our podcast, wherein Graham mentions things and J- Jeff just has a terrible reaction. So, well, Jeff, Jeff, I, have, I, I want to continue this, but in reverse. Mm, oh, boy. Because I read Vinland Saga number uh, volume one this week. Oh. Oh, uh oh, your your segue does not fill me with hope, or does it? And you loved it, right, Graham? Let's just say that <laughs> a very long book. It's a very long book. Yeah, yeah. Volume one is like 130 odd pages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a. It's, if you yeah. asked me what I thought, like 150 pages into it, mm-hmm. which is a reasonable length. Yeah. I would have been like, Jeff, I don't get it. It's mm-hmm. technically like it's technically impressive. Mm-hmm. The art is wonderful. Mm-hmm. There is nothing in the writing mm-hmm. worth continuing on. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I continued was because of you. Oh. I shit you not. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I like I have the book in my hands. Right. I might go just keep going. Mm-hmm. Like I have nothing to lose but but the time. But honestly, up until the flashback. I was like, this is the most generic story I can imagine. <laughs> like, this, this leaves me utterly cold. Like, mm-hmm. technically wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, there are panels in there that are just beautiful. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's, uh, you know, uh, sequences in terms of art mm-hmm. and in terms of layout that are great. Mm-hmm. But the writing is, up until the flashback, so banal. Like, shockingly banal so horribly trite that I was like, <laughs> I have no idea, no idea why Jeff is still in the, the bag for this. Right. Not at all. That flashback, though, mm-hmm. that sold me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the time you end the first book where essentially the flashback is over, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to keep reading, but I know I'm not going to like it. <laughs> well, that's because very interesting. Thorfinn mm-hmm. is such a dull character. Mm. shockingly boring Mm -hmm. i really hope future volumes have some form of any life to him some form of any surprise because when he is the protagonist in that book Mm -hmm. it's terrible and everyone around him is cliched and there's nothing that interested me at all Mm. apart like literally going there are panels in this that are beautiful Mm -hmm. you know the 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 way they have laid this out is wonderful Mm -hmm. Um, but that flashback sequence, that flashback sequence completely sold me. Mm. And I really was like, I wish there was anything of the nuance of this in the, the, the opening sequence. Mm. Cause there's, it's, it's just, it's not present. And yeah. like I said, I'm going to continue, but I'm continuing more or less because that flashback sequence makes me think, well, if they have that in them, mm-hmm. there has to be more to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be curious to see what you think. Also, in a thing that is, uh, you know, I I have to admit, I was totally into the first half and the flashback. I was a little, um, 
eye-rolly about despite okay, the so, despite so the why are you into the, the opening sequence because in, in terms of writing again artistically wonderful technically proficient definitely writing wise i what what is there I, I'm not uh, criticizing. I'm no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I got I, there was nothing there that was interesting or surprising, or or even honestly entertaining. And well, so, what was it about that sequence that worked when the flashback didn't? I'm uh, really curious. Okay, well, the the closest thing that I can come to saying is, is I really think it's important to put the caveat that I'm still about halfway through volume three which means that it was about 800 pages ago and i don't know maybe a month or so since i did volume one so my memories of it are going to be a little vague but uh i think the thing that i ended up liking about the first part of it was that um and and this is where where you're like ah grown and trite first off i i feel like i felt that like you i thought the story i thought the storytelling was great you think the story itself of what it's telling is trite here's where you and i split the difference just in the sense of i felt that uh when thorfinn does all this stuff and he's doing it just for the chance to fight his boss ask ask lad i don't know how to pronounce his name i'm hoping it's something close to that who is the the motley manipulator there's something that he says relatively early on in his various finagling which is something to the extent of he's talking to some other dude that he's negotiating with probably about the their ill-gotten gains and he's very much like there is um nothing essentially every man has something that that they need that you can manipulate to get what you need from them and it's it's relatively short maybe it's perhaps cliched and hackneyed but i actually i've i like the relationship between Asklads and and thorfinn in the fact that you don't necessarily because you're thrown so in media res you don't know why Thorfinn, you know, is in this weird engagement uh, arrangement where he wants to kill this person, but he can't just come right out and do it. He has to, like, formally battle his boss, and his boss doesn't care, is so um, – extremely nonchalant about the fact that this person wants to kill him. There's something about their relationship that struck me as a little atypical. And uh, I know that particularly in manga, there tends to be both the manipulator character and the devil may care character. And sometimes they are the devil may care manipulator character, which Askeladd is in that early section but there's something about the way that it was done where i kind of went oh huh you know as opposed to kind of like Ugh, get me through this section so that's all the stuff that actually worked for me and then um 
I, I, I was 100% get me through the section. I mean, really, I was sure. like, it took me maybe four or five attempts to get any sort of momentum going in that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, because I, the other thing is like the opening section, which, which left me cold, is really long. Yes. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, it's hundreds of pages. Well, the first chapter itself, most um, first chapters like, of manga are like 50 or 60 pages. Yeah, so say that like the first, you know, caper, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Like everything everything from the very start until uh, Thorfinn getting back on the boat and saying to, to uh, Tassilant, like, you know, sure I won, right? Right. Is 82 pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is long. Yeah. And so for someone like me who's like, nope, like, you know, I, I feel like I've seen this, you know, I am out, you know, I have a mission and I am, you know, I, what's the opposite of me? Not the opposite, but like, he's, he's, I don't want to say Mary Sue, but he's one of those like weirdly invincible main characters. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I am so passionate that my passion, passion makes me invincible. Yes. And I am the best in everything I do. Right. And, you know, I, so 82 pages of me being like, there's no dramatic tension here because this it, this is the protagonist who can do anything at this point in the story, right? You know, and so it's it's a, it's it was a struggle for me. But like I said, then you get the flashback, and the flashback, I was like, okay, sure, there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I uh, well, and and yeah, there's a lot more to the story. Whereas for me, I felt like it became really clear pretty early on to me that there was more like even if the character himself is invincible that tends not to bother me as much in manga because usually the difficulty level ramps up like very soon he's going to have his ass handed to him kind of thing sure but again like that's that's part of the trope like i guess that that was that was one of my difficulties with it i don't read enough manga to be inured to the tropes like Mm -hmm. i just see the trope well, I, 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 and I guess it's not that you're not inured to it. Maybe it's, it, it, yeah, it's that you don't have. Like I, I only see it as like, oh, I've read the story before. Right. As opposed to like, you know, so say I'm, say I'm reading superheroes, like I'm just getting superheroes. Right. And I'm like, you know, ugh, another superhero who's a secret identity whose love interest isn't interested in him. Right. Right. Or even you like, know, it's the same thing. Yeah, where you're yeah, like, yeah. no, it's the trope. Yeah. Like that, that's something that you work within. Right. Well, it's it's well, not even that, something that you work within. It's something that people who appreciate the the genre appreciate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sort of in that way that I couldn't at a certain point the a lot of the Shonen Jump stuff I just had to leave because I was like, I just don't care about kids competing with other kids and schools competing against other schools to be the best blank in the field of blank that is ever blanked. And and so I get that. I totally – on the other hand, there are people for whom that turns their crank. And it's interesting oh, sure, to sure. me no, 100%. the way that – and as time goes on, we'll see if you agree with me or not. Thorfinn is a character who seems very – he's he seems like a shonen character in what is a seinen world you know he's he's the invis- <laughs> you say that like i know what that means Jeff. yeah i don't it, know what that means. i and i was gonna re-explain probably because anyone who should know what i mean is like i think jeff is pronouncing something desperately wrong which i'm sure is the case um in other words he's a kid's character in an adult comic 
You know what I mean? And so part of what's in a way interesting is the things about him. Like on the one hand, that means like, oh, you get the stuff that you like from Shonen books, a.k.a. lots of fights with stuff that you might like from more adult comics, a.k.a. like, I don't know political maneuvering say or you know rampant nudity or whatever um <laughs> absolutely out of nowhere swearing which is i find hilarious in this book yeah 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 yeah. exactly like the, the, the translation is it honestly feels like a weird update of stan lee's called shakespearean <laughs> it does because it's it's amazingly like colloqu- like contemporary colloquial mm-hmm but every now and again, they'll drop in like something that is is very not. Mm-hmm. So you know, I have people being like, "Sir, you and I must fight for the honor." Or, you know, the honor demands it. That our, our, you know, our honor demands that we do this, and someone else will be like, "He's fucking crazy." Yes. Right. 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 <laughs> like this is this is hilarious. Yeah. And again, and this could be me deeply misunderstanding manga, but there there's a lot more of that in Japanese manga in part because I feel the Japanese language has more of that because there's still an honorific system and other things. There's, there's a schism between formal and informal talk and manga tends to reflect that in the way that you have people will be like, like you said, will be talking in a flowery way and then saying something just, like you said, absolutely like crazily anachronistically contemporary or, yeah, and you it's, don't, it's, but it, it, and it's, but it's, it's funny to me that, you know, the translators don't make any swerve from it in that case. Yeah. Well, do you not think it, it do you not think it's, it's, I mean, it really sticks out. Well, I mean, or, or is that just me? That it, it's that it really does feel that they are making an attempt to, to make it, I mean, historically accurate is being really astonishingly kind, but there to to make it more than just you know uh, contemporary conversational, and then you will get a character who's just like kick him in the nuts. He's right. a shit dude, and you're like, what? Yes. Well, but again, it's it's, it's really funny to me. It, it's you know, I feel that if even if that is the case that you're saying, the owner should be on the translator to to do something to soften it because uh, i feel like it really sticks out well because i was going to say again like you uh, th- it doesn't actually the closest it happens in vinland saga so far is you see characters like there's the french guy in the opening chapter who looks very much like a miyazaki character or like a human frog with that enormous mouth and but other manga will will have it where suddenly you'll cut to stick figures you know what i mean like suddenly you'll get a reaction shot from a character that might just be like that quick pen drawing and like Mm -hmm. a couple of Mm -hmm. eyes and something Mm -hmm. and and so i was going to say like again the the tension between the formal and the informal or the the verisimilitude and the absurd slash bats shit insane is something that is I don't want to say that it's inherent to the Japanese understanding of the media because that's really reductive, but it is a thing that audience is not only are comfortable with, 
but that but enjoy yeah it's 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 a little it's a little bit of a fourth wall breaking element that for whatever reason i i yeah i can totally see it's just for me as a reader like i found it hilarious oh i totally like like it's it's really really funny to me that you know that they have the big dramatic scene at the the end of book one right where um Thorfinn basically breaks down at, at, at Askeladd and, and, you know, just ends up screaming, like, I, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And, like, that line is like, look at his fucking eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, you can tell it's meant to be a dramatic moment. Yeah. Do you know, they're meant to be in awe of this kid. But the line, look at his fucking eyes, is hilarious. That's really funny. I don't, uh, whereas I, at that point, I'm in the rhythm of it. To Two things here. Actually, let's see if I can stack them all on top of one another. Last night, I went and saw um, Jackie Chan's uh, Police Story and Police Story 2, which the Criterion has uh, apparently got the rights to and either paid for or helped pay in or is debuting the 4K restoration of these two Jackie Chan movies that are from 1985 and 1988. Jackie Chan's Police Story is the first Jackie Chan movie that I ever saw, uh, by which I mean in the context, because I think I might have seen Cannonball Run and had no idea who he was, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. But uh, so I I love that movie. And in fact, had it had been so long since I had seen it that I turned around and had purchased a, um, a cheap cheapo DVD, like literally like two weeks before they announced this restoration. Anyway, because Criterion did a restoration, it's doing a sort of limited rollout in some theaters and the Alamo did a thing where they're like, hey, we're going to be showing this. But the Alamo Drafthouse chain, I've got some uh, doubts about their ability. Like they're not as in they, as a chain that started off in Texas, uh, it, more specifically in Austin, and then grew and now is franchising out, they used to be very easy for them to be like five or six theaters in one area that could very easily fall into lockstep. And mm-hmm. it's not something that's as easy for them to do when they've got like Brooklyn and San Francisco. And I think they've got a Los Angeles location and one in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, you know, so you'll have things like they'll be like, yes, we're doing our retro future uh, movie fest where they've got like 15 movies. And of course, San Francisco's playing like the three lamest ones, you know, and yeah. So all of which is to say they announced they were doing police story for like seven nights from uh, like February 1st through February 6th or 7th. And they, as of like January 29th, were not selling, had 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 only one showing on Friday the 1st and they weren't even selling tickets for it or were sold out depending on whether you check the app or the website so all of which is to say I went and saw police story at the Alamo last night. And one of the things that the Alamo does is they've got uh, if you talk, we throw you out of the theater policy. Once the movie starts, no talking, no texting, you're out. Ironically, one of the reasons why I ended up getting into Hong Kong cinema, I realize and foreign movies in general is I had grown so um annoyed by people talking in movie theaters 
that I realized that experience bothered me less uh, with foreign films because I was usually reading the subtitles and therefore sure. people weren't talking over the lines. Uh, so I was kind of like, oh, how weird the context that has changed in many ways that I'm sitting in a theater where people will not be shooting out their, their mouths. Um, and I also had to deal with this thing, be, the flip side of that, which was when I first saw Police Story, I thought it was fabulous. When I saw Police Story 2, it had left me entirely cold. Police Story 2 was one of the first uh, Jackie Chan movies, first Hong Kong movie that I'd ever tried watching without subtitles, thinking, oh, I don't need it. You know, it's a universal language. I'm just watching it for the kicks and punches. And afterwards, I was like, wow, that was that was really dull. Like and. And so I was very curious to watch it tonight, last night with subtitles being like, am I going, am I going to like this now that I can actually know what's going on? And mm -hmm. when it finished up, I was like, no, that's actually a really dull movie in my opinion. Like, I'm kind of <laughs> glad that, you know, two decades later, I at least managed to get some sort of closure on this particular side of things. And in my super, super long-winded way to bring it back to what we were talking about, one of the other things that I wondered about with my love of foreign cinema and especially Hong Kong cinema that came up at that point was it was a good way for me to put aside my critical faculties about the aesthetic experience that I was having, that I had gotten so in my own head, up my own ass, and at some certain level of critical um, acumen that I could not turn off while watching an American movie, that just like, you know, that, that whole saying of, the, you know, Sturgeon's Law that 95% of everything is crap, I felt like I was going into movies and 95% of the time coming out being like, well, that was crap, you know? And so the Hong Kong films were kind of a way for me to put away some critical faculties about things in the sense of if something didn't really work for me, I could just be like, okay, I'm not understanding the cultural context, or maybe that wasn't translated correctly, or maybe someone left a bit of dialogue out, or maybe there was a thing that was cut and blah, 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 blah. This circles back to Vinland Saga and also a point that you had mentioned um, actually maybe just a few episodes back where you were kind of like, do fans of manga cut manga too much slack? Because you had I, now, read stuff. Did I stuff say that, that on was... the episode, or did I say that elsewhere? You definitely. I have the strangest feeling. I the strange feeling. I said it uh, on Twitter, and I didn't say it in a, in a podcast. You definitely said it on Twitter uh, or on social media, but you. But I believe you then said a much softer version of it on air. I thought. Um, it, it, well, one way or another. The point is valid. I still made. I still asked that question at some point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just saying that in case people are like, I don't remember that because I'm not sure I actually said it on the podcast. Right. So if not, you have said it. I think it ties into Vinland Saga and maybe a, a greater point. At the time when you said that, I was sort of very defensive about manga and being like, no, no, it's, you know, it's not your cup of tea. But the things that you enjoy about it, the people enjoy about it are things that are. Are, are valid are valid are quote unquote good it's just yeah you know that kind of thing 
So, because it is interesting to me that for whatever reason, I read Vinland Saga, and it could just be that I'm, you know, a, a, simp a far simpler person slash simpleton compared to you. No, 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 no. And I don't mean that No, no, but like, no, but like, even as a joke, mm -hmm. like that's bullshit. Well, Anyone that listens right. to this podcast knows that you are far more analytical a reader than I am. Well. I'm analytical in some ways, but again, I feel like, and that's like, I, I think a perfect comparison point is uh, about an hour before this podcast, I finally got around to reading Young Justice number one by Brian Bendis and Patrick Gleason. And I found, and also had read the latest action comics and then decided to back up and read the previous two action comics. Cause I was like, wait, wait, the Red Cloud storyline is over? Did I finish reading that? And went back and I was like, oh yeah, I did. I guess I just didn't realize it was over. So I kind of had- <laughs> Me <some> too. <laughs> right. So, so, um, so listeners, if you've managed to make it through this constant stream of Jeff yammering, what may make it worth your while to go on is Graham and I are going to officially announce- what our next podcast is that the successor to Baxter. Wait, 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 wait. How and, are we like, I feel you're jumping around. No, 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 no. Because I wanted to say, Graham, I, I don't mean to, to break the reveal too soon, but it's going to be called battling about Bendis in which Graham and I read Brian <laughs> Bendis comics and argue <laughs> about them for two hours. And as a little preview warm up for that, I want to say, <laughs> That I read Young Justice number one and Action oh Comics. God. And one of the things that you actually are complaining about is there was a scene in Young Justice number one that opens up with the characters from Gem World. And someone really does do that sort of, you know, you who are most holy. Hey. hey oh, yeah. Hey, no, hey. no. One hundred percent. Like yeah. it's 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 completely on the page. Like it pretty much like. You name that only longtime DC fans will recognize. Who are the most holy? Only you can, whatever, yeah. save the day or, or know what this means or something. And then there's like the full page reveal, which again is only a reveal if you've read fucking, you know, mm -hmm. Amethyst Princess of Gem Worlds from 30 years ago. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But even more to the point. Oh, shit. Let me see if I can find it. Where is it? It's. Uh, 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 page, page one. I know it's like literally the first page. Um, do, 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 do. Okay. So th th it's like three panels in of this mystical figure talking to an other mystical figure talking about an earth crisis. It is what they call it when a natural event changes the earth against its natural evolution. And this really got to me. They say the earth has, and I was like, and this really got to me? Like, I really was, like. Oh, yeah, but again, it's Bendis. Well, and, like, do you not remember, Ben, was it, was it, is Dr. Doom? Yes. Or like, Dr. Doom would, would be, you know, fake, you know, full Stanley Dr. Doom, right. and then all of a sudden be like, and this cow over here, this heifer, this is the heifer you said against me, and you're like, yes. what the fuck is happening yeah here? yeah i remembered the dr doom heifer because it was like one of the last and i mean that bendis comics that i read for marvel so watching him do this thing where of course when the general baddies do show up and one of them's like 
bring to me the one you call super. And one of the guys yells over him about the 12 kingdoms of gym world would have word with your champion. And someone's, and the guy says, please don't step on my line. You know, like that's, it's clear that in a way, the thing that bugged me on the first page is Bendit. Like you said, it's Bendis being Bendis. And there's a way in which he's like, hey, love me or leave me. This is what you're going to get. And, yeah, exactly. This, and this is this is what I do. And what I do is, you know, shockingly self-conscious dialogue. Right. And there's and, and I guess the thing that bothers me is there's times where it's self-conscious enough. And then he kind of, he, you know, it's my thing with. Well, no, there, there's, there's a thing where, like, you can lampshade it to such degree where it is, quote unquote, charming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there's the other right. thing where, like, you just – you don't. You basically are just like, ha-ha, look at me. Ah. Right. Which isn't charming. Right. You know, the, the, where you have to have a level of audience buy-in to get away with it. And, and you're right that um, not only Young Justice, but, like, a, a lot of his DC stuff has that. Yeah. The, the, there's a running gag in Superman about Adam Strange, you know, being like, oh, where's the Earth, you guys? Don't right. leave me hanging. Ah. Right. Which, again, relies on so much uh, fan knowledge already in order to work. Mm-hmm. Then uh, relies on you then to give Bendis the extra benefit of the doubt that he's talking unlike Adam Strange has ever talked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, right? So, yeah, it, yeah. I, I, you're one hundred percent correct. So yeah, so there is. It is kind of funny that you had this thing where you're like, "What are these guys talking like in this Vinland saga? Why don't they try and rein that in?" I'm like. Graham, it's the nature of the medium. Now, about Brian fucking Bendis, you know, well, no, which but, is yeah, ridiculous, but, you know. Like, again, it's sort time, of... What really, but what's really interesting is I have the alternative. Like, I literally the reverse, where mm-hmm. I'm like, it's fucking Bendis, what are you going to do? Right. No, exactly. Well, right. And so, But that's where you are on the spectrum, and someone else is probably like, that's those are my favorite parts of the book. Like, you know, I, you know, and there's probably someone further down the spectrum who's like, I love the fact that I didn't realize the Red Cloud saga was over until halfway through the Leviathan Rises issue. You know, like it was like even but again, even the Leviathan Rises issue has a lot of like weird, self-conscious, almost fourth wall breaking moments for Jimmy Olsen. Oh, completely. Absolutely. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's where Bendis is as a writer now, right now, which is interesting in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like, breaks the wall in the same way that this is the very thing that I find hilarious about Vinland Saga's dialogue does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and weirdly, I'm like, yeah, Vinland Saga, I don't have a problem with it. Brian Bendis, I'm like, oh, man, do I have a problem with it. So, so. Again, all this stuff, and again, to tie it into the stuff with Jackie Chan's police story, I'm kind of like, ah, you know, at a certain point, there's like, there's a thing that you see something and you have either a reaction or an ab reaction to it, or you grow to love something over time, but there's still a certain level of, uh, there is that buy-in, and that buy-in does take certain shapes or forms it's not consistent from one medium to the next but you do kind of have to be like because um one the other thing that i realized was uh uh and and i don't know i don't know how jackie chan savvy you are but um not not especially although what's really funny is i realized i saw a police story and it couldn't have been that long after it came out really Uh, yeah because like i saw like 
definitely like mid eighties, not even late eighties. Oh my god, Graham, you probably saw Police Story before I did, which is heartbreaking to me. But that's but hilarious. It's, but it's so like yeah. But that said, like it is hilarious because like I saw it because like a dude I went to school with had it on video. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really interesting because I don't know. In any in any event, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me in a way because the Hong Kong it surprises the shit out of me. But okay. Well, I mean, how do I put it? I guess just in the sense of the Hong Kong film industry in in many ways, I think had more exposure in Britain first, since Hong Kong was still a British colony at that point. So a lot more of that stuff because the British films were being made uh, and and had to have like English subtitles sort of by definition um, to mm. be able to be screened in theaters. Uh, uh, it was a lot easier for them to make it into the British video market than the U.S. video market. Uh, yeah. That took a sort of longer time and period in the Hong Kong film craze tended to come out either from people pilfering British appreciation for it or usually in larger metropolitan areas where there was a Chinatown film district before it eventually shut down. So one of the things, if you say, if you've seen police story and you have enough of a memory of it, there's a few points where Jake, there's the various fight scenes, which are amazing, but there's also the big stunt. And in police story, it's Jackie Chan is, is in a, in a in this crowded mall and he's up on the fourth floor and he sees a character who is in the process of getting away with the special computer proof of his corruption you know the printouts and so jackie jumps from a set of stairs into this big lit up chandelier pole thing slides down it with all the lights exploding around him and then falls through a um I don't want to say it's a it's not a gazebo, but it kind of seems like a gazebo at the bottom and lands on stuff and then gets out and runs. So as is the case, and it's kind of he will show you the stunt and then he shows you the stunt again from a from a different angle. Like you see the stunt three or four times, essentially. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I realize like that really is a pre video concept of things like there was. He was making it still in a marketplace, even though it was 85 or whatever, where the idea that you would have access be able to stop and rewind. Something, yeah, you you wouldn't be able to look to look at it yourself. Like exactly. he would have to be the one to show you. Yeah, exactly. So there's that weird fourth wall breaking of suddenly you see the stunt again from a different angle. And then, you know, maybe even a, again from a different angle. And so there's a weird way in which it uh, completely breaks the reality of the of the movie, right? But it also is well, but but it's also it's, it's actually funny because I agree with you, but for some reason, and again, I saw this thir- more than thirty years ago mm-hmm. on like a friend's bootleg video, right? You know, yada yada yada. But I want to defend it. I'm like, yeah, but that's a cinematic conceit, which for some reason is more, like, okay for me mm-hmm. than someone saying, look at his fucking eyes in a comic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No. I mean, let's put it this way. I understand why you're saying that, you know, because, like I said, 
in our brains, like you're like, okay, that's like you you buy it. Like there's the yeah, buy you, you buy it. I, yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I no, I don't get me wrong. I agree that there's no reason why that makes sense and the other one doesn't. Right. Like sure, there's a complete like there's no sense there whatsoever. Right. Like why why is one okay and the other one isn't? Absolutely no reason whatsoever. Right. But but that's nonetheless where my brain is. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. Believe me, I totally get it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I'm like, and this brings me to my next topic, but I don't think that I'm ready to actually go there. Slash, I feel like I spent too much time as always yammering. Oh on. my god, I really want to know what it is. Well. Well, it's two things. One is it's something that I wanted to discuss, and I was like, oh, I kind of see a weird segue here, but I'm not quite sure what it is yet. Uh, it, so in the things of, you know, since since this is the Jeff talks about the stuff that really doesn't fry Graham's burger, um, I finished watching season two of The Punisher today. Oh, and okay. I was kind of like – I didn't recall – I didn't get the sense that I had talked much about the first season of The Punisher. I don't really recall you talking – like we talked a lot about – Felix talked a lot about Luke Cage and we talked a lot about Daredevil. I don't right. think we talked a lot about Punisher. Yes. So I had skipped over the first season of The Punisher. Uh, the Defenders had just been so lamentably bad and what I saw of Iron Fist was so bad that I didn't come back for – I, I never made it through season one of Iron Fist. You had to tell me the end of season two. I did not watch season two of Luke Cage. I did not watch season two of Jessica Jones. And I only went back to season three of Daredevil with reluctance and ended up enjoying it. And I enjoyed it enough that I was kind of like, maybe we should check out The Punisher. Because The Punisher, for whatever reason, seemed like it might be the only thing sort of in that same wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the first season of The Punisher a lot, and because I watched it very late, it was only about a month until season two dropped. So I turned around and watched season two relatively fresh on the heels of season one. All of which is to say, season one, uh, much like it, it in of Punisher in many ways, reminded me of season three of Daredevil in that both seasons had caught on to the idea of it's taking the supporting characters that you have and making them, how do I put it? Like uh, one of the things that struck me about the Marvel Netflix shows is that because they're doing superheroes in a different medium, there is a very different way that they do things for whatever reason. And one thing mm-hmm. that I realize is, is that um, for whatever reason, it always feels like there's more characters in a TV show than there is in a comic book for whatever reason. I also feel like superhero comics have kind of narrowed over the years in the, yes. for yes. a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even in its heyday, I feel like, let's say, and maybe not a great choice, but Spider-Man um, had, like, maybe a cast of, like, eight or nine characters, you know, th- that are Peter Parker's supporting cast. Um, and 
And that seems like almost about at the stage, like a little wider than just your average TV show would have. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I appreciated about season three of Daredevil and also season one of Punisher is it took secondary supporting characters and gave them both fuller arcs slash um, kind of that have hit that sort of classic stage of, for me, classic stage of sort of Bronze Age superhero stories in that the supporting characters are kind of what things happen to to have the illusion of growth and change, you know. Characters hook up, characters die, characters become supervillains, lamentably enough, you know, uh, and at a certain point, as that goes on long enough, it then becomes absurd. But it, in a sweet spot, you're kind of like, oh, shit, like, you know, Flash Thompson came back from the war and he's not OK. Or I, I mean, that's actually even a later stage thing for Flash Thompson. It was like Flash Thompson comes back from the war and he's got the he married a, a woman in Vietnam, you know, or sure, yeah. Harry Osborn has married you know peter parker's first crush and now things are going wrong for them or whatever whatever the hell it is so in season three of daredevil there's a couple of supporting cast members the fbi agents who are investigating who are who are sort of dragged into working with wilson fisk who both end up having very full character arcs similarly in season one of the punisher unsurprisingly one of the characters ends up becoming you know uh frank castle's old friend who for those of us who know the comics is going to end up becoming jigsaw and there's this other character that you're like oh this is the other character who's sort of the law enforcement characters who's investigating the um the whole case who ends up getting pulled in on a whole nother uh, level and to the point of it's very satisfying in the way that season two of the Punisher, which is a huge mess, is also a more ambitious mess in that the characters themselves the, the that seem like they are going to be supporting characters or cannon fodder in season one are in fact having pretty full not only have a pretty full arc in in that season but in season two arguably get to close it and the the i think that's a real it's a shame in a way that marvel tv the marvel netflix deal is closing down because i i'm not sure if you can really expect to see that um continue when marvel resurfaces marvel tv sort of resurfaces under whatever Disney service slash provisions that end up happening, you know? Really? You don't think they're going to do more of that with the, the much more purposeful uh, miniseries model they're moving into? Or do you think the fact that they're sticking so closely to the movie casts means it's just going to be, you know, I, uh, here you go. It's, it's you know. I, honestly, what I think that it is going to be, and, and I could be wrong, is that... Um, I feel that there were a lot of reasons for this, but Marvel, the Marvel shows on Netflix are are uh, were will probably end up being quote unquote edgier uh, in in all the positive and pejorative senses 
uh, than what's going to end up on Disney, if only because there's going to be an expectation that Disney stuff is going to branch, you know, is going to be closer, is going to be pressed right up against the cinematic universe stuff. And so therefore is never really going to move much beyond is is never going to move out of PG-13 territory and is probably going to b- barely dip its toe that far, if you know what I mean. I'm actually very curious where they're going to go in terms of that in particular, mm-hmm. because one of the things that I'm so surprised about with DC Universe is that, you know, Titans was quite clearly, you know, NC seventeen, I guess. Right. Like if you're thinking in terms of ratings, Mm -hmm. and like very deliberately and inorganically chosen to be so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and I and I wonder what the purpose of that is. I guess because you know they're doing that, they're doing Swamp Thing Mm -hmm. as horror, Mm -hmm. specifically as horror, and it's it's such a strange thing to me Mm -hmm. that, and I wonder if. Marvel is basically going to do the thing that we all expected, which is, you know, just just treat these as the same ratings as the the, the movies. Right. Right. Which, again, is not something that, that Marvel TV did, you know. Oh, no, the Netflix stuff, like, surprisingly didn't. Yeah, very much not. The Netflix stuff, Jessica Jones, and, and the first season of The Punisher is – uh, you know, I spent a lot of time talking with you and recommending to the whatnots, like, check out The Night Comes for Us, although, oh my god, is it gruesome. The the Punisher, the, one of the things that's really interesting about the Netflix version of The Punisher is he apparently has a superpower that renders him incapable of, of washing his face or hands, so such that when blood spatters on his face, which it will... It will continue to be there for the better part of an hour, even after the fight's done, even after he's gone on to, like, do his taxes or go out to lunch with somebody. It's all it's just everyone is blood caked as much as possible most of the time. And and in that sense, it's a it's a it's a very it's a very gruesome show, which lots and lots of, um, you know, fight scenes that are that just are. unpleasant to watch which is you know for some people uh very remarkably pleasant. yeah exactly for people like me generally pretty pleasant to watch the unpleasantness um and so it's, it is hard for me to imagine that that is going to be what's going to happen after the fact uh so the thing about the punisher that is weird is like i said i enjoyed it i also enjoyed the the uh the change because of the changes that are made it's very easy to look at the punisher and kind of be like if you're of a certain stripe um it's very easy to be oh yeah hashtag not my frank frank castle because you know uh john bernthal who plays the punisher who i did not follow on walking dead has a pretty significant following and there are some people who do not like his acting style i believe tucker stone might be one of them so i say some of this with some reservations, but I very much enjoy watching the dude. I think he's charismatic and I enjoy his, his acting. Although I'm, I think there's a certain amount of smoke and mirrors there maybe, but he's definitely a more Stallone esque version of the Punisher. If you know what I mean, there's a, mm-hmm. a lot more angry 
yelling, uh, a lot more angry hollering than quote unquote mind punisher would use, but perfectly viable. A very, uh, you know, the Earth Netflix version of the Punisher is, you know, is is a, an entirely enjoyable character all his own. Uh, and I have to say, I guess one of the things that I really enjoyed about both season one and season two is season one has a lot to do with uh, war vets very smartly and sensibly. I guess the idea that uh, there's a bunch of dudes who are who are veteran, like one of one of the people that Frank served with is Billy Russo, who goes on to become Jigsaw. There's also uh, the medic in their troop is this guy, Curtis, who loses a leg and goes on to essentially form a uh, encounter group for vets suffering from PTSD. And the revisions that are made to Frank's origin are, I think, pretty sensible in that um, the show takes some choices to play up um, Frank's dirty hands in slightly different ways than the, than the comic would. And it's it's all pretty successful, but one but one of the things that I really think is interesting is is that in its sort of have its cake and eat its way too, um, the two seasons of The Punisher are about one could say damaged, fucked up men and toxic masculinity, and you know reveling in the things that they do while of course saying that we should not revel in the things that what they do because of course what they're doing is quite monstrous and unpleasant but the thing that i sort of liked about it is is that the is that the first season sort of talks about hey the military it gives men all these things that it needs and it fucks them up quite possibly for life and you know, Frank is in his weird superheroic way the embodiment of that. And then in season two, one of Frank, one of the villains is this dude, uh, John Pilgrim, who is a was a sort of former neo Nazi slash mob connected um, thug who ends up more or less walking away for that life and becoming a born again Christian who has a family and kids and is a pious man who has found redemption, who is now more or less the button man for the rich conservative Christian billionaire family that need him to, you know, for his nefarious ends, kill all these people, which he happily does because he's sort of an unthinking faithful soldier of, the Lord, as he calls himself, as the series goes on, I mean, it perhaps unsurprisingly, he himself is becomes a mirror version of Frank Castle. And so one of the things I really enjoy about the first two seasons is the way in which the overall arc seems to be the ways in which men 
like essentially that society keeps using men against themselves, I guess, you know, in the sense of Frank Castle is this dude who is trying to avenge his family slash punish himself for being unable to save his family. And then in the second season, you see a guy who's more or less being manipulated by the very same things. And in the first season, you see a whole bunch of dudes who are more or less manipulated by the U.S. government in the military. And Mm -hmm. it's a shame that that's, not going to go on for another season or two, although I don't know if they would figure out another way to come up with that. But I kind of had that thing of like, oh, there, there yeah, there's something kind of interesting here about this show does have something to say, again, in that weird like, but also celebrating it, but also condemning it about. But isn't that the Punisher? <laughs> no, agreed. And that's why. Even though it's doing it in a slightly different way, I suppose, or in a more modern way or a more modern television way, is still very much telling Punisher stories, which I Mm -hmm. appreciated. In that sense, I thought it was a very successful transition from the comic to TV. And one of the things that I found really interesting and enjoyable and to the extent that I can have a tenuous connection to everything else that we're talking about we were talking about earlier one of the things that i end up liking about punisher the tv show is the way in which it is a tv show and takes a lot of the things that come with a tv show and figures out ways to talk about the same things that the comic books talk about but sort of using our expectations of the medium rather than the comic book ex- taking the comic book sure, media sure. and just transferring it over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did well, Jeff. Thank, thanks. I feel, like, I feel I, I should say that. I think when you end something, saying something by sweating, <laughs> that it's, a, it's, it's beholden on me to be like, Jeff, it, it all made sense. And you made good points. Thank you. Grant. And to like pat your back. That's very kind. That's very, very kind of you. Yes. I, I want to pivot off what you just said there, though. It's because I feel like I don't like the Punisher. That, that's, yes, mm-hmm. you know that, right? Um, and I feel weirdly enough that television is better for the Punisher, right? Because it's more finite, first of all, mm-hmm. and secondly, you can get more moral ambiguity in there. Mm-hmm. There's there's less. Um, do I mean moral ambiguity? I'm not sure. What I what I guess is I mean to say is like there's less chance in a television show mm-hmm. that there's going to be a relaunch a year later that'll put him in the fucking Iron Man armor, <laughs> you know, and then like a year after that he'll be you know whatever right. he'll he'll be reincarnated as an angel while simultaneous to both those the future version of him has been turned into Cosmic Ghost Rider, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you can't really make any uh, serious statement with Frank Castle now. Well, actually, one of the things that I think is great is I see your point with that. But honestly, what's really wonderful is I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, Graham, because they marvel for whatever its other um, uh, weaknesses and strengths and whatever cynicism pitted it. By spinning off the Marvel Max line and giving Garth Ennis the Punisher and you being able to do that Punisher Max version, which followed up with Jason Aaron's version, which, again, are even vastly different. You do have, like, 
five or six years of of Punisher stories that are very close to the character that don't have anything to do with any of that. You know, like the the Ennis Ennis's run is in fact more or less you know seems huge it hugely split off you're like you're like it is complete it is a story in and of itself yeah so i mean it's practically separate from the ennis and dylan stuff which has a completely different tone as well and ennis more or less keeps those very different in a uh, separate in a lot of ways as well so there's kind of us like i see your point but part of me is like what 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 are you what are you talking about graham that's not true like i know i know exactly what you mean you're absolutely right there's all this stuff that's being done with the punisher in the marvel universe and yet what's one of the things that works well about one of the things that works well about the punisher season one and season two is also unlike every other Marvel season one Netflix show, it does not introduce more characters that are going to be more prominent on the next show. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not a, and here's a cameo from, right. The, you know, Misty Nights or whatever. Right. The closest that you get is because in season two of Daredevil, there be, a bond is developed between Karen Page and Frank Castle. She appears in both one episode of season one and one episode, well, a little more than one episode, but essentially one episode of season one of The Puncher and one episode of season two because they have their own relationship and it works. But there was there was a point where there's this weird cut. And I was like, oh, man, if they if this is a Charlie Cox cameo in a way, I knew that it wouldn't be because the Internet would have wet itself about that. But I was so relieved. It was perfectly placed for where in most of the other shows the the character combo would have come in, you know, and I was yeah. kind of glad that it didn't. I was actually really glad that the first season of uh, Punisher really does do all this stuff where it's like, well, we could go someplace with Jigsaw or we couldn't. And season two is very much this weird tightrope act of we're doing everything that you think we would do with the Jigsaw character and absolutely not at the same time. So, mm -hmm. uh, and so, so yeah, you're right. He's a character that in a way does, I, I think works very well for TV and sort of in the way that we were talking about, there's a number of characters that for whatever reason uh, tend to, may not work very well as comic book characters that actually work much better in TV or film for a variety of reasons. And, and in, yeah, exactly. You know, and the Punisher, I would say is definitely one of those guys. That being said, I am a little, uh, you well, know. you know, I, I'm coming at it from the point of view of not a Punisher fan. So it's, yes. it only makes sense. You're like, I think you've forgotten, right. you know, great Punisher comic runs X, Y, and Z. Right. Because, right. because I have forgotten them. Or, <laughs> right. Because well, you, you know didn't mean, read or like, about them or, or did you yeah, care about them? Or I yeah. don't yeah. care about yes. them. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it, like, that only makes sense. It only makes sense that you'd be like, well, I think you'll find, yes. sir. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's complete, but it's completely valid for you to do that. Right, because I because I am approaching it from a like oh this character's trash, but yes, yeah, no, 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 I, and uh, again, totally fair enough. It's part of the reason why I felt sort of silly, like oh I'm going to talk about this, being aware that I, it's I'm sort of talking 
uh, or, like through you to the whatnots who maybe haven't checked out the first two seasons who might. The reason I'm giggling is when you said I'm kind of talking your post, I almost went through me. And then you went through <laughs> you. And I was like, hooray. <laughs> We're in agreement. That is great. Although the weird part was in my head, like, you know how when Darkseid shoots out the Omega beams and they maneuver oh, around yeah, people? Yes. You're doing this, the perfect arc around me. Yes, and I couldn't figure out a way to visual, to uh, describe that in language without literally I, saying I, I that right that. now. I so, love that. Yeah, As yeah. someone who has read, like, a, a genuinely obscene amount of New Gods comics in the oh, last couple of weeks. Yes! Um, I I love that that's your analogy. Yes. Let's uh let's since I've babbled on and on and I think it might or might not be fun about talking about a few more uh comics up my sleeve before before we do. However, how goes the new gods uh, uh so reread? This over-read? honestly start this honestly started as me going. I'm going to reread. I'm going to read all the Jerry Conway new gods comics and I'm going to write a series about them for the Wait What site. Right. And I am. Mm-hmm. But after having going on eBay and buying a complete run of the Secret Society of Supervillains <laughs> and all of Conway's Return of the New Gods issues, and I already had his Justice League issues, mm-hmm. and I so I discovered that I have his Justice League issues that also follow on from the cliffhanger of Secret Society of Supervillains that got cancelled, wow. which, just luck. I then, still on eBay, got the complete run of the Mark Evaner, um, Jim Starlin, Paris Collins, Rick Holberg New wow. Gods series from 1989 to 1991. Wow. Which immediately follows on from Cosmic Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had read this, I'd read like maybe the first two issues mm-hmm. when it was coming out and it did nothing for me. Mm-hmm. But since then, like I've read Kirby's New Gods, which I hadn't before. Like my, my experience with New Gods when I first read it was I'd read Legends. Mm. Right, that was my dark side experience entirely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So I was like, you know, I'm sure it's good. Like Evanier was was Kirby's assistant. Um. You know, Starling was coming off of Cosmic Odyssey, which is. Like good, but for me, like more good because of the Mignola art than, than because sure. of the writing. Um, but honestly, like also, I got everything for like a dollar an issue. Right. So I was like, you know, fuck it. What have I got to lose? Mm-hmm. It's great. Wow. <laughs> like it's legitimately great. Um, there are two or three issues around the, I want to say it's like 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. or maybe 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Which are as close to Kirby's New Gods as anyone has ever gotten. Wow. Uh, in that it is simultaneously beholden to and very much, uh, believing in its own mythology mm. while also telling a story that is, is an analogy for essentially an emotional state that everyone goes through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and doing, using the, the humans in the story to actually drive and resolve the conflict and having the new gods characters do the fighting, do the heavy lifting, mm. but the story's never really about them. Interesting. I feel like that is very much something that Kirby always wanted to get to do and never fully got the chance to close. Right. He, he got, got that like too. A couple of times. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there's the, the glory boat. 
gl- glory boat and uh, and of course the what is it the terrible case of battle in the, the ter- uh, t- uh, terrible turpin yeah terrible right? turpin yeah and also there's the billion dollar baits issue of uh, forever people mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so Evanier really channels those for like a three issue run midway through the, his his issues um and it's it's like it's it's really great stuff and he gets he can do kirby not dialogue but like kirby concepts in a way that others can't because he he does it as kirby did like completely unsubconsciously right so like there's the reflector which is r-e-f-l-e-k-t-o-r-r oh nice which is a monster that shows everyone their own fear their Mm. biggest fear Mm -hmm. right Mm mm-hmm which you know, it's a great concept. It's a very Kirby concept. It's very, very Kirby much so, yeah. And but the story is, Orion sees it, but Orion fights himself, so he's convinced it's not the reflector. Because if it was a reflector, he'd see Dark Side. Uh, right, clever, have, yeah. Right, it's a really nice idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this. You have Victor Lanza, who's a character from Kirby's New Gods. Yes is put by his son into an old folks home after his wife dies mm. and is talking about you know I'm, I've still got life in me I've still got purpose and then they're attacked by uh, one of Darkseid's minions who can bring the dead back to life mm-hmm. and he sacrifices himself at the end of the story just because he's like I, I have to prove that my life still has purpose by dying yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that is also very Kirby-ish Right? So yeah. you have these lovely moments in the between. You also have him doing the, like, trying to advance the mythology overall. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings in Darkseid's dad at one point. Mm. And, and talks, uh, there's an entire six issue run about Orion going looking for his mother in Apocalypse. Uh, that, that is more or less like, why does no one ever talk about Orion's mother? Mm-hmm. We know Dark, we know Orion's Darkseid's son. Who's, who was the mother? Right. What's, what's her story? And it's very much, uh, like Darkseid, uh, Orion is Darkseid. Like, mm-hmm. that's Evanier's theory through the whole thing. Mm. Orion is as bad as Darkseid. He just doesn't realize it. Mm. Orion loves the fight as much. He mm. doesn't care about the end result. He's not fighting for a cause. He's fighting for the fight. Right. He's fighting because he believes in the destiny. That's it. Therefore, he is as much a threat to everyone mm. as Darkseid is. Is, is, is like Evanier's running theory through this. Mm. Um, so, you know, Orion gets caught up in this when he's going undercover in Apocalypse and essentially like oversteps the mark and people, he's like, I don't know why people don't recognize me. And it's because he's essentially turned into Darkseid. Mm. You know, everyone just sees him as being this like savage apocalyptic warrior. Right. Right. And it's like, I don't know why people don't see this. And everyone's like, because you are a monster. <laughs> because you are terrible. That's why. Um, so it, it's, it's really, it's really fun. It's very faithful to the Kirby mm-hmm. in a way that honestly no subsequent run has been. Mm. Every, everything since then has tried to put a spin on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it and often very successfully, the, the Tom Payer Rachel Pollock run in the nineties is really underrated in part because the art is fucking horrible mm. but the writing is really strong there hmm. the writing is really really strong the the plot of that and it's only like nine issues uh the plot of that is orion kills dark side and in doing so poisons the source and new genesis slowly becomes apocalypse oh that's lovely too um and and light ray being the purest of them all becomes the most corrupted mm. and he becomes dark side mm. Uh, you know, which again is a really nice reading of the mythology and a really nice like spin on it. But it is a spin. Yes. 
you know, and then you get like Starling doing Death of New Gods, you get a Burns run, which I actually haven't read, but I can't see Burn doing anything interesting to push the, the concept format, uh, the concept forward, because right. that Burn's take. Um, you get, you know, Kings, Mr. Miracle, all of this stuff is spins on, or it's, it's never like playing it straight and trying to push it forward, which this run very much is. Well, you know, I think in a way, part of the thing that's a little rough about New Gods is I, I felt like, how do I put it? Part of what always seems to never quite fit, and it might be my satisfaction as a reader, it, it might be my own biases in play here, but New Gods are, is a concept that I always feel whenever someone gets their hands on, they immediately try to kind of do too much with it. Yes. You know, yeah. and it's trying like quote unquote finish it. Exactly. And, and, and it's interesting that that is, I mean, it sort of makes sense because sort of Kirby has everything in place to make it seem like it's a story engine that's just going to shoot forward. And yet it ends up, of course, not being satisfying because everyone's trying to finish the story and then the next person comes in and does their own version of their finishing of the story and and yet by the same token if you get someone like burn who's just going to kind of you know come up with new ways to spin his wheels you that's in a way also not satisfying yeah it's it's a very strange thing um I'm going to pivot off this quickly to say, I think I said last episode that I I had a copy but hadn't done a deep dive into the uh, Cecil Castellucci, Adriana Mello, Female Furies book. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I really like the first issue. It is, again, very much a take on. Mm-hmm. It's not like anyone going into it hoping for essentially Female Furies book or Scarpy would have done it you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Anyone going into it looking for the follow-up to Miss Miracle, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. It is, for want of a better way of putting it, a prequel to Kirby's New Gods. Hmm. Um, in that it definitively takes place before Mr. Miracle. Right. So Bart, Bart, is, Bart, is, still one, Bart mm-hmm. is still one of the female furies. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it is... Like, there's parts that are just going to piss people off hmm. in that first issue. Mm-hmm. But it is simultaneously, like, thematically, like, as, as, as much as it out, steps outside of a lot of people's belief of what the fourth world should be, mm-hmm. it is also really, really, really true to what Kirby was doing with it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It is Castellucci using the characters as analogs for real world concerns. Mm. And in doing so, doing things that I think will really upset fans. Of the material, mm-hmm. of Kirby's material, um, and I don't want to say more because I don't want to spoil it, and it's not out yet. Right. But there are specific choices she makes about Dark Side mm-hmm. that I think people are going to be like, "No, that's not what he would do." Mm-hmm. And for Kirby's Dark Side, no, it's not what he would do. Right. But if you are looking as Kirby did, as the new gods are analogs for. Uh, you know, abstract concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, Metron is the god of knowledge, of mm-hmm. or, or technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Orion is the god of war, as as we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, Darkseid is the god of fascism. 
then for Casalucci to come in and say, maybe not. Maybe Darkseid is, and I'm not really spoiling anything because this is kind of in, in the promotion for the book, but what if so many of the characters in Apocalypse are also uh, monoliths of the patriarchy? Mm. Hmm. Then, you, you know, what does that mean for Darkseid? Mm-hmm. Is Darkseid actually the, the the infallible dominant monolithic evil force, or is he actually a man? Mm-hmm. And as a man, will he do things that seem, you know, beneath him for a lot of fans? But again, if you just look at the idea of like every man is fallible, mm-hmm. then then you know there's there's really interesting things in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I really liked it. it it's hmm. it's um, it reminds me of, and this is going to sound like a, like I'm insulting it, considering my feelings for the book, but it reminded me of Bitch Planet a lot. Mm. Um, but it's it's Kirby's Bitch Planet, if that makes sense. Wow. But it's also not. It's also very not. It's also it's simultaneously Kirby and not Kirby at the same time. Right. Right. Um, I really think Aslichi's being faithful to the spirit of Kirby and not being faithful to like the letter of Kirby's continuity. Right. While also being actually very faithful to the letter of Kirby's continuity. Like Darkseid's mother, she shows up. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Hmm. But it, 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 between that and Mr. Miracle, I was like, oh, I guess that's what you do with the fourth world now. You basically tell your story and do your spin on the characters as archetypes. And you don't you don't continue the story anymore. Well, actually, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting in the face of Mr. Miracle and this and is that it says, I think, a lot about where we are. Uh, It's probably too much of a sweeping generalization to say the world, but certainly where we are in America that that we're like telling stories about characters in apocalypse you know apocalyptic characters in a in a hellscape makes a makes a lot more sense now in 2019 you know or in in that sense you know mr i think mr miracle is very much uh king king and gerard's mr miracle is very much a 21st century Mr. Miracle, you know, it works because, you know, we live in a country that has been in a constant state of of war now for a horrifically long time, as opposed to kind of a case of war, you know, like the the hiccups version of a constant state of war is like, oh, now we're at war. Okay, now we're not. Oh, now there's a military action. Now there isn't. As opposed to after 9-11, the war on terror is just this never-ending state of dark sides, self-negating, you know, mottos seem to make more sense every day. And so, yeah. and so it, I think, I think that 
that does make sense. I, I think the thing that's really sad is the is, you know, if this works, Mr. Miracle and Barda, part of what works so well about the series is the, their ties to Apocalypse and and as survivors of that, not just survivors, but in a way still active participants and what that means for their life and how they live their life. Like that's the part that is, I feel, resonant when you read the book. Like, oh, I'm fighting this thing. I am a, but I'm also a, a participant and an enabler of this thing at all yes. times, right? Like that's mm-hmm. um, that's American life for some of us. Well, and, yeah, and 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 one of the best things about the King Garad series is the mixture of montanity into that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're fighting this existential threat mm-hmm. continually, and mm-hmm. it, it it but it becomes part of their life as opposed to their entire life so you have that mixed in with you know they're essentially on mother box's iphone you know trying to have a date in the middle of it yes exactly or or you know how do they juggle that and being parents right you know all, all these things it's it's that mixture that really does sort of underscore the the true parallels between the 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 war Mm-hmm. Of New Genesis and Apocalypse with where we are today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I exactly. And and so and so yeah, it's kind of so it is a shame. But I do have this like, oh, it would be really weird if what ends up happening, you know, is that we see successes from DC, other people doing the fourth world, and the trick is not to do the new gods the trick is to do it with all the apocalyptic all the apocalypse characters you know mm-hmm. just the idea well, that god help us that desad is the desad miniseries by you know i don't know mark russell and <laughs> whomever on art ends up being the next big you know success for for dc in a way because it well no it's 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 it is kind of weird that like that that they make more sense to us now yes um something that i did on the the wait what tumblr a while back was look at the the new 52 sort of reimagining of the of the fourth world mm-hmm. and how it harsh harshened i don't even know if that's a word mm-hmm. but it made more harsh new genesis right like high father was now this militaristic despot mm-hmm who who didn't have the empathy right. that that Kirby and, and not just Kirby's uh, uh, high father did, but but you know Evanier's did that mm-hmm. that Conway's did mm-hmm. that that he is essentially someone who is is fighting against the fight mm-hmm. and who believes that the only way to win the fight is to win the hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, in the New Fifty Two, he's like he is this military man who. For the, the the Green Lantern crossover, which I really liked, mm-hmm. but the Green Lantern crossover, he's like, well, all we have to do is create, like, steal the rings from everyone, and then we'll create the life equation, and we'll just be better despots. Right. That will be the solution. Right. Um. It, it's, you know, I, I, you've you've stepped off the the Justice League train, right? Yes. Um. So I'm not. I'm going to spoil the Justice League annual, but at the same time. You know, 
people who are still reading the book will have read it. It came out this week. Um, and people who don't read the book won't care. But the, the, uh, Justice League New Justice, they uh, know Justice started off with like the source wall has been broken. Right. Um, and at the end of the annual, which came out this week, the source wall is literally broken. Mm-hmm. The source wall explodes. Mm. And as a result of that, New Genesis and Apocalypse disappear entirely. Mm-hmm. And so does everyone, so does everyone who was there, who's from there. Mm. And they make a point of saying like the multiverse is broken. Mm-hmm. This isn't just the source wall. This isn't just New Genesis and, Ap- and Apocalypse. The multiverse is now broken. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, is that them basically writing out the New 52 version of the fourth world and putting into play all these different variations that we're going to see now. Mm-hmm. Like, are they creating a, a canonical framework for, sure, Mr. Miracle counts. Sure, f- Female Furies counts. Mm-hmm. Sure, our sad miniseries by Mark Russell counts. Right. Uh, I should point out, there is no decide series from Mark Russell. Jeff and I are just making one up. Yes. Anyone, so they've announced one, and we were like, you've not heard about it? Right. Uh, but, you know, any of these books, like, you know, someone's come up with, like, you know, Calibag meets Scooby Doo, you know that counts too. You know it. It's. It's. I'm wondering if they are basically writing out these characters to be like, yeah, we actually can't do anything with them in continuity. I wish. I wish that were the case. Honestly, I do, because of course, as you know, that's more or less what uh, what Morrison ended up doing with in with Final Crisis. Uh, and that could well be them kind of getting around to, oh, okay, okay, we'll actually honor that. But I'm kind of, we'll, we'll see what happens. Because for me, I'm like, yeah, there's like, uh, Dark Side is just too much of a main. Well, uh, I should say, they've kept Dark Side in. Oh, I see. They've got a, they've got a dodge to keep Dark Side around. Right, of course. Cause... Which is the Justice League Odyssey book. Right, that's what I was going to say. Is like surely for the Justice League Odyssey book, he's got to stay yeah. around. So he he's in like the ghost sector or whatever it's called, which is out of phase with reality, whatever, whatever. So he's fine. Uh-huh. He's the one one who gets to stay oh, around. Oh, okay, all right. Well, in that in that case, yeah, like sure, maybe maybe that will really, maybe that is a good idea because I do think that that um, you know, there were people that had a lot of passion for Kirby's new gods. I think the Dio's one of them, but uh, certainly I get the sense that Jim Lee seemed to seemed to dig drawing Darkseid, that it kind of seemed like the new gods were always kind of sort of being wedged into the equation, and it might be much better to, to sort of leverage them back out, I suppose, you know? Yeah, it's funny, like, I, I would love to see uh, a new gods book. Mm-hmm. Like an ongoing New Gods book. Mm-hmm. I also have absolutely no problem if it is 100% disconnected from the rest of the DC universe. I think so too, because for the most part, that's kind of how Kirby rolled and preferred to roll. Like even though Superman comes in at a few points, um, you know, until you get to superpowers, for the most part, Kirby's fourth world is stuff is not is not really taking place in the DCU any more than the Eternals is really taking place in the Marvel universe, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And is it as exciting and enticing as it is for creators to be like, Oh, this is great. 
you know, a few more toys in the Kirby toy box that I get to ha- to play with, uh, I think there are ways in which leaving them separate might allow for a little more, um, I don't know. It, it, it just allows for a, a very, for the possibility of there being different takes with them in a way that aren't just, oh, is Orion going to kill Darkseid or is Darkseid going to kill Orion? And what's Blue Devil going to do about it? You know, it's just like, <laughs> what is Blue Devil going to do about it? You know, what is Blue Devil going to do about it? it, it uh, like, let's have Blue Devil come back. Uh, so, uh, so yes, Graham, that's, uh, that's, that's a fascinating little bit of, um, of New Godzonia. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, so I should say I uh, I'm going to write about the, the Conway things. Right. I'm probably also going to write about the Avenir things. At this point, I might just get the burn runs as well and just write about like every New Gods run that isn't Kirby between like Kirby and Final Crisis, which would be amazing. But of course, part of me is like, so that means you would have to re- reread Cosmic Odyssey because it sounds like you yeah, definitely skipped over that in. This no, I've, I've I've read Cosmic Odyssey a number of times since then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I actually like it a lot, but like I said, like like it for uh, Magnolia much more than Sarlon. Because, sure. and I said this on Twitter to, to uh, Chad Nevitt, and I'll expand on it slightly here. I feel like in many ways, Starlin is astonishingly indebted to Kirby and also the ideological opposite of Kirby. How do you mean the ideological opposite? Um, he's much more of a nihilist. Kirby is much more of an optimist, and, and that really comes across in these new gods issues, mm-hmm. where uh, Kirby, well, Starlin focuses much more on the characters being essentially pained and um, flawed and destroyed, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I, and I should say, like in in a certain amount of um, uh, self mythologizing, like you know, they will rise above this, they will come from this, they're they're heroes despite this. Right. Um, whereas Kirby doesn't. Mm-hmm. Kirby, to my mind, writes very optimistically about this. Even even the the villains have an ability or have a, a more life to them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, this comes across really, really, really abruptly in this 80s series because Evanier writes issue one, mm-hmm. then Starlin writes like issues two through six, mm-hmm. and Evanier picks up again. Mm-hmm. And Starlin must have been fired off the book. Mm-hmm. Starlin leaves with a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And it's a very abrupt cliffhanger in which Apocalypse has essentially like forced humanity to fire nuclear bombs. <laughs> and they're one of the humans who has the anti-life equation who is in Starland writing like you know has become like the the ultimate nihilist is standing where the nuclear missiles are headed and is happy that they're headed like they're they've been shot off mm-hmm. right so standing where she's watching them being launched and she's like haha this exactly of course um, and Evanier takes over the next issue and literally like the first thing he does is have her go, no, I've realized I was wrong. <laughs> like now that, now that I've seen this happen, it's horrendous. Right. Um, and like it really sort of underscores for me, it's underscore for me like that, that Starlin really does like obsess about the nihilism, obsess about like the darkness in these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
Kirby does not, and Evanier, who is very much trying to be Kirby with mm-hmm. these stories, mm-hmm. like the first thing he does is have this person be like, nope. Right. I did think it was great that everything was going to die. I realized that it's actually horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think I think that but is – But at the same time, like, you, don't, you don't get um, Starlin without Kirby. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, but there's a few other things you don't get. You don't also don't get Starlin without Ditko, which has mm-hmm. a different set of um, myths that lend themselves more easily to leading to that sort of nihilism. You know, Ditko is a strong believer in essentially the self being the ultimate. De- determinant of one's reality and i would think and kirby is essentially the opposite of that so for starlin he'll take the world building of kirby mix in the self-determination of ditko and then throw in you know his own time doing drugs being part of the military service being jim starlin you know, and, and, <laughs> and coming up with a, uh, that, that, that understand the, the understanding of the, the way that the, the, the self obsessiveness becomes nihilistic. Like it's always, he's, he's very aware that the functioning of that the focus on the self essentially just turns becomes a process of turning to um, you know nihilism and and destruction and so I think for him it makes a lot of sense of like yeah so that is going to be the ultimate outcome in that situation down a certain path and it always has to be tempered with something else you know which is which is why his thing of like uh, and sorry for people who haven't read it, but, you know, I'm sure everyone has. But the idea that that Warlock becomes the Magus further on down the line makes, you know, it's not just an amazing plot twist. It's also Starlin, I, I think, even that far back being aware of, you know, he's aware of it. But at the same time, he also kind of doesn't either doesn't know how or isn't interested in giving up that obsession. You know, like that, that, that obsessiveness is the part that he finds the most interesting, which is why Thanos ends up being the, you know, Starlin's longest running character that he's, you know, returned to ultimately through, throughout everything in a way, you know, because that Thanos's ability to both, grow and change and yet you know never sort of escape being thanos is 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 an interest to him i suppose it's funny that you say that because i think that's uh definitely right in starlin's view of thanos Mm -hmm. however starlin's inability to grow and change beyond a certain point stunts thanos's ability to grow and change if that makes sense uh could be yeah, sure. I mean, I, I you, you think... don't you don't think the fact that like Starlin keeps coming back and telling variations on the same story uh, limits the idea that Thanos is changing? Um, and, and for all I know, that's intentional on Starlin's part. 
like Starlin is, is maybe trying to tell a story where Thanos believes he has changed and, and yet still finds himself married to the same concepts and obsessed with the same people and concepts. Yeah, you know, that, that right. might be entirely intentional. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's enough stuff there that I can't say to what extent that is whether that's the limitations of Starlin, whether that's the limitations of, you know, a comic book villain in a closed universe oh, that sure. is not owned it's, by it's you. The limitations of right. the only thing Marvel let Starlin do. Right. Like, you know, there, there's multiple things there. Yeah. But, but nonetheless, the end result is Thanos is a character who grows and changes and yet is not allowed for whatever reason to actually change significantly. Well, it's funny because I thought that you – for me, I sort of felt like Thanos sort of does change for at least within a within a relatively tight – you know, it – I, I, I think he – I think he significantly does basically like up until like whatever – whenever Marvel Universe The End comes out. Right. Which is like 2000. Yeah. Well, 2000 or a little later than 2000, I want to say. But what's amazing is if you think about it, that means that that's a character that has been around, uh, you know, a, sure, a, for like right. 40 years. Yeah. yeah. You know, 30 years. And and Starlin has managed to revisit over time. You know, it's not all packed together the way it is. Like if we sit down and read Thanos throughout, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, here's here's this character and it seems you know what i mean like those things are he's actually revisiting that character like five or six years apart that would be that would be a fascinating reread uh the, the all the thanos stuff all the starlin thanos stuff yeah i think so too i think so too you know and and honestly again like uh you know the the first of his uh little ogns i thought you know um Starlin is is doing some stuff in 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 that one the whatever the first of the infinity conundrum books are the infinity effect I think it probably is the infinity effect because what you know Starlin himself is using Thanos to tell a a, a story about characters that can't die and therefore essentially become can't help but become corrupted and on the one hand that's a continuation of starlin's you know worldview one would say and that nihilism but it's also of an incredibly apt metaphor for dealing with work for hire characters you know such that uh you know a character like warlock is eventually going to become in is going it has no choice to become but to become corrupted because he ceases he ceases to mean anything throughout uh, over the passage of time you know for me that first uh that first starlin ogn um i said i guess the death of captain marvel is the first one but you know what i mean the first one no i know it does of of when he returned yeah exactly is is in a way almost to me like uh kirby's um hunger dogs in that part of what ends up being his message is like hey these characters aren't 
meant to you can bring them back but they're they're not the same anymore the infinity know? revelation it seems to be what it is is that the very first one i, I should the honest infinity revelation it. yeah yeah so um so yeah so me i'm like so in a ways maybe not he, he's using thanos for different ends in that sense but yeah what you, that's no longer talking about thanos as a character that's talking about thanos as a symbol or an object which isn't isn't speaking to your point um i don't know you know all of which is to say there there are there's always that point where you real uh, you know a lot of my favorite authors ha have this like oh there's you know you have that realization of like oh they're just writing the same book over and over and over again and is it the is that what sells or is that their obsession like they just can't help but come back to it every time like that's that that that's that little Gordian knot that's kind of at the at the core of themselves or at the core of their art that they just can't escape, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I I don't know. I it, it is pretty hard to say like where where that event horizon is or what it's going to do. I just know that for whatever reason I think it's interesting that for the most part people can more or less fake Thanos in a way that feels closer to Thanos then people can fake dark side in a way that feels yeah. closer to dark side. And that's kind mm -hmm. of, that's kind of interesting to me. I mean, maybe it's to be expected since one is sort of a more straightforward, you know, like, yeah, I, to, to be honest, like for all that Thanos is a complicated character and yeah. he is, especially mm -hmm. when Starlin writes him. Yes. Um, dark side is infinitely more nuanced. Yeah. And dark side's nuance has been infinitely more lost when other people write them yes yeah 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 no i i think one of the things that's absolutely great about dark side is as kirby writes him is kirby has like it's the it's the it's like kind of a bad comparison but in a way but it's the closest to me that kirby comes to being almost someone like melville i suppose in that Kirby has a very distinct idea in his mind that he is able to communicate that it might be communicating something that is ineffable, ineffable or cannot be communicated. You know what I mean? So it's dark side is almost like Moby Dick in the sense of even when someone else is turning around and being like, oh, yes, I know Moby Dick and can just repeat all the words like somehow it's still not quite right. Like, I feel yes. like Darkseid is such a very specific understanding from Kirby about not just the nature of evil, but the nature of evil in the world that is so organic to him that when you when i read dark side in kirby there it's it's i'm i'm always aware that i'm never getting all of it you know what i mean but there's also still the goose flesh that can rise up on it you know whereas yeah, yeah. Then, then when you turn around and have someone even someone like say uh like you know when walt simonson tells his little christmas on apocalypse story you know like there's there's like how do i guess how do i say it it's like yeah he's got he's he has a good sense of of dark side it's it seem it's like an it's 
you know, it's an ersatz version, I suppose. You yeah, know? yeah. So no, but that's I think that's very true about almost everything. Like really, almost every single version of of the Fourth World that followed Kirby. Right. You know, one of the things that really surprised me, and I'll say this, and we can move on because we really should move on. We're we're over two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, is looking at the Conway stuff. Mm-hmm. It's realizing how little New Gods there actually is mm-hmm. until after Hunger Dogs. Mm-hmm. And honestly, even after that, there's there's like I can I will be able to own every single New Gods uh, series right. and Mr. Miracle series and Forever People series mm-hmm. published like after Kirby mm-hmm. and still going to amount to less than 100 comics. Right. Right. You know, which is kind of crazy because, and again, maybe it's just because when I started re- reading like DC seriously, I started with Legends, which is a dark side centric story. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, it's fucking dark side. Like right. he's the big bad. Right. But there really not, aren't that many new gods. Like there aren't that many fourth world comics. Well, I, I, again, I feel that that's a weird side effect of even uh, that, that weird thing of most of the new gods kind of don't work. Like Darkseid does is able to work. Like the Ursatz version is is good enough, you know. Like I really feel like a turning point, and it's interesting because I know you're aware of it. But there's a point where um, Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen, it, at least as far as I know, split Darkseid off from the rest of the Fourth World and bring and put him in Legion. And and that really is the the reinvention of Darkseid as kind of like oh you can you don't need the rest of this stuff to have the cool guy you can just have the cool guy and in many but ways super, he's even that's cooler super super soon yeah well like, I mean literally sure. you get you get Kirby mm-hmm. you get uh, one issue of Return of the New Gods which is first world's uh, first issue special right. You get appearances in Secret Society, Secret Society Surveillance just in the first five issues. Mm-hmm. You get Return of the New Gods. You get a three-part JLE story, and then you get the Legion story. Well, you say that as in super soon in that weird, like, we're old people, and that makes sense. No, I mean I mean super soon in so far as, like, there aren't that many comics between... No, um, but there's a decade between no, the no, closing exactly. of the New Gods and when Darkseid pops up in Legion, right? Yeah. No, right. yeah, there is. Well, right. close to – if it's not a decade, it's like, you know, nine years or something. Because yeah. I want well, to – I'm going to look. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm now like – I'm now curious. Mr. Miracle 18 was published in so, – oh, no, there's not. It's so 74. Right, seventy four. So eight years. There was eight years. I guess right. So because because Dark Side comes back in eighty two for the Great Darkness Saga, is that yeah. right? Okay, yeah. For whatever reason, I rounded both off to seventy four and eighty four. But still, that's a that's a huge chunk of time, and especially back then, that feels like forever, you know. But uh, I just so I I feel like that's sort of important to 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 throw in there. But you're right. It's not a lot of comics because, again, I feel like everyone sort of – everyone who's a comic creator wants to new, do the new gods, 
but whenever they pop up in comics, I kind of feel like everyone's like, the audience is like, nope. And it takes a long time <laughs> until you get to, you know, you sort of start peeling them off into bits. You get Dark Side and Legion, you get Mr. Miracle in, and Barda in JLA slash JLI, yeah. you know, and then that sort of semi opens the door for Orion being in Justice League. But but for the most part, it's not it it's it's and we're kind of still there in that sense, right? It's like you got Dark Side, you got Mr. Miracle. You know, there's a four issue miniseries for the female Furies, unless I'm mistaken. It's not an it's not an ongoing, right? The the one uh, right now, I think it's five issues or maybe six. Okay, but it's it's a limited. It's it no, it's a limited. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a limited series. Right. So so there's there is a lot of hmm, how do I put it? Like it it's almost more valuable to kind of you know cut the gems out of the necklace and sell them piecemeal than to try and pawn the necklace itself. You know, it just doesn't, yeah. which is, and, and yet for the comic book creators, they're like, Oh my God, no, the workmanship on this necklace, I'm going to turn around and complete the section that has never been finished. And finally we'll have the complete brooch and everyone's like, wah, wah, you know, so I don't know. You know, part of me, part of me, one of the things that is really funny about the Justice League annual is the idea of like, oh, no, the new gods and apocalypse have all disappeared. Like, in a way, it's kind of like, whew, like, like, I know what you're, I'm sort of like, wow, I hope that sticks. Like, that sort of seems like right? a good it's, it's idea. Like, sure, that's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, good job, everyone. That's, that's a good idea. Well, what I think is funny is, is that it's also ironic that it happens you know, within a year of Marvel doing the quote unquote death of the Inhumans, which is another Kirby concept that sort of everyone loves and no one can ever figure out how to fucking make work. You know, does so. everyone love it? Uh, a lot of creators seem to love it. Maybe maybe yeah. creators don't love it. Maybe maybe creators love the paycheck and Marvel is always at points of, but I mean, I swear to God, you look at the Inhumans comics in the seventies and you get the sense Roy Thomas loves the shit out of the Inhumans, but it's just like, eh, no, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work, you know? And we went through the, through the Fantastic Four, the Inhumans are practically the FFs like distant cousins and always seem to be dropping by to visit every 20 to 30 issues and whenever they do it's kind of like it is us the inhumans and after two issues it's like we cannot get off panels soon enough you know what i mean so i don't but know fair. i think everyone is thinking that as well yeah i think so too i really do i think everyone's like fucking shit the inhumans who knows maybe that's part of the appeal is having those characters that you're like as soon as they show up you're like oh boy i'm so glad they're back so now i can watch them leave again because that's always my favorite part you know, <laughs> uh, so you're starting to buzz. Should we just um, make a buzzy chit chat for like two or three minutes and then announce things and then get the hell out of here? Sure. Sure. Let's do that. OK, Graham. It, are, are we not? Are we buzzy still? Uh, no, no. We stopped about probably around the time you started telling that story. It was just so entertaining. I didn't want to be like, oh, we're back. So, yeah, no. Whenever whenever you're ready, uh, do, do you want to be the one to, to break the news? Well, I want to be the one to say that earlier this week, 
you and I swapped emails about finally doing this fucking teaser campaign for what we're doing to follow Baxter Building. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to publish these on the, on the Twitter. And you're like, that's too obvious. Everyone's going to know what we're doing. Yes. Let's do it on the Tumblr. I was like, no, it should be obvious. People should know. And then I fucking publish these images. And do people notice? No, they fucking don't, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. You fuckers out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got to say about that. No, it's not all I've got to say about that. Hey, we've done teaser images on on the on the Twitter this week, and I think people have got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, Jeff, I don't know if you've noticed, but like, um, amongst the people who retweeted our Twitter images were the official 2000 AD Twitter account and the official Judge Dredd Twitter account. Oh my! Well, yes, maybe they did get it then. Uh, uh, yeah, we're we're so Baxter Building finished in December. Right. Uh, my anal desire to get it done oh at God. the end of the year. Man, we did two episodes and we fucking killed it. Um, and then we took January off because, you know, maybe we wanted a break, even though we still did three episodes. So I guess it's not a break. Yeah. Um, but hey, it's February. It's a new month, and Jeff, we get to do something new. Yes. Yes, Graham. What have we do? I want you to tell everyone, Jeff. I well, want you to be the one to break it to everyone what we're doing. Because spoilers, everyone. It's not fighting about Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, battling. Battling about Bendis. It is. It is, everyone. Graham's doing this whole disinformation campaign to turn you around. We even... No, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're actually doing a podcast called Drock which is the most exciting thing ever. And we are going to be uh, each month reading a full Judge Dredd case files, uh, which re re it collects all of the Judge Dredd progs in order. We'll be reading one a month and uh, talking about our favorite stories about it. It's going to be a little bit different in Baxter Building uh, in a way that I'm very nervous about because I feel like Graham and I came to uh, Baxter building sort of in many ways on equal ground. Uh, but I, Graham is a long time judge dread reader. I am a comparatively very new, uh, reader. I had, you know, read 2000 AD for a bit and the magazine for a bit. I liked red and I, I even read the first couple of case file volumes on my own up until about volume three or four, but I'm very, despite being nervous about, how much ignorance I'm going to be flaunting on, on, on Drock. Uh, I'm, I'm also very excited to be able to read and explore the origins and the development of the character while talking with Graham. And I'm really excited by the idea that, that hopefully everyone, uh, will be able to join us. Cause I know that there's a lot of listeners, uh, to the podcast who like Graham are longtime uh, dread readers. And I think there's a, a sizable number of listeners to the podcast who like me are people who are interested in dread, but you know, still haven't found an, an in yet. And I'm hope I'm really hoping that this will be a great way for uh, people to join us. So it would be, believe me, it's a ton of reading, but if you're interested Get a hold of the first volume of Judge Dredd Case Files and read all 300 and motherfucking 40 pages by next in, week. In a week. <laughs> yeah, which, let me tell you, I'm pretty sure if you can do it, more power to you. Because I am seriously huffing and puffing my way through this thing. Uh, Are you? Yeah, well, I, 
only in the just the sense of well, we'll get we'll it, get into it, it next It's a week. lot. I mean, it's there, a lot. there is, there is yeah. a lot. It's a lot. There's a way in which I'm trying to sort of cautiously read things, but you know, by comparison, you and I, uh, when we were doing the Baxter Building, it if we were feeling like like when we decided that we were going to like, you know power through a bunch of issues we might maybe get crazy and read a dozen issues of the ff at once which is about what 240 pages of comics maybe 260 pages of comics yeah the the volume one of the case files is 320 pages 340 pages Mm -hmm. right so it's it is it's substantially more and because the stories are um they start off being between three and four pages and then they're sort of in this first volume going to five or six pages there's just a ton of content like and and especially because this is in the early days so there's a there's a lot there but i guess there, what I'm there's saying a is, lot there yeah. yeah so so feel free to pick it up if not don't worry we're only doing one a month but we're going to do a case file every one month which means that we've we've we're probably going to be doing this for the next three years i'm really i'm very excited about that also my intention is uh to figure out a way to give out uh the case uh, give out at the end of each podcast a case file um digitally only i think to two listeners maybe more so tune tune in and we'll we'll figure out a way that we can we can start giving those we'll, away. we'll figure out a way we can do that without like triggering any like legalities that we we don't want to get involved in but we don't i don't think that uh, i mean who knows what the legalities are but i i uh, I, I all i'm saying is Poor uh, Charles Forsman had to stop himself doing a giveaway because he triggered some sort of Patreon thing. Oh, right. And I forget what I forget how that worked, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, we actually do have to have to think of how to do that. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. just that we're going to have to work out some way to do it. Yeah, we we will figure out some way. I think in the past, we, as you know, we've done some giveaways where we weeded it so that we did. An equal yeah, I, number think of, I think as long as we don't do it just to Patreon people, yeah, we'd be okay. But yeah, we need to look into that. And Jeff. right, exactly. So uh, there, there is something else I want to add, which is unlike Baxter Building, we're not going to be doing plot synopsis of every story in these case files. That's right, because that uh, would be a nine-hour podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, instead, we're more or less going to talk about our impressions of that, of what's in that case file, like any stories of note or particular favorite stories, things like that. Yeah. But anyone who's hoping for us to essentially go, and here's the history of judge dread completely. No, that's not what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Sadly, it it is very much designed to be an overview where we can talk about our impressions or things that, that pop up as they come up. And hopefully each of us will pick out a favorite story or a favorite arc per volume one each that we can discuss a little bit. So we're actually thinking, and God only knows, we may just absolutely be fooling ourselves. But uh, uh, but I, I'm I'm actually thinking that it might be one of our shorter podcast episodes. <laughs> I know. We'll, right? see. we'll see, listeners. We'll see. Yeah. 
Jeff has no idea how much I can talk about Judge Dredd. Well, that's that is certainly true. Uh, also, it'll have a different theme song, which I'm very uh, yeah, which I'm People, very excited about. People, you are not prepared. Do you know why you're not prepared? <laughs> You've heard my version of theme music for Baxter Building for draw. You're going to hear Jeff's, and let me just tell you, it's fucking great. It's fucking great. I am so excited. I am so excited. I am Jeff, so glad. being a tease, sent me an email last week, which was, hey, I put some music in this Dropbox. Tell me what you think. And then he didn't put the music in the Dropbox. I'm really sorry about that. That was not me being a tease. And in fact, part of me was like, I'm going to put this here and see if he notices it because it'll pop up. And of course, I did that thing where I put it in my Dropbox, but somehow forgot to put it in the shared subfolder. It was, it was the greatest thing because I was like, uh, did he like change his mind? <laughs> <laughs> What happened? Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, Graham hates it. Graham fucking hates it. I haven't heard from him. I'm like, I should have known. I just wanted to be like Graham. So, yeah, that's great. I love it. I I, really love it. I am really, really glad that 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 really fills me with glee. So so listeners, you've got you've got how many more reasons do you have to 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 tune in with seven days to get your asses into 2099 that's right it starts in the same year as spider-man 2099 and more importantly ravage 2099 pretend there's a crossover i was about to say that explains some of the background characters uh, yeah, not. but it, yeah, it, it starts. It starts in twenty ninety nine. You get some. Uh, I don't think it's spoilers to say, Jeff. You get some really terrible comics in there, and you get some really fucking great comics in there. You really do. You really do. Uh, and at times, you you're not even sure which is which. So right, I very exactly. much that's sadly true. At <laughs> times, you're like, I think I'm enjoying this, but it might also be objectively bad. <laughs> exactly. I had that. Oh my god. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So uh, join us oh, next one, week. Oh yes. One last thing. Yeah. That, uh, and Jeff, you may want to cut this out. Mm-hmm. We were talking about doing this, running this in a separate feed as well. So it will appear in the Wait What feeds, but it may also appear in its own feed for people who don't want to listen to Wait What, but do want to listen to Judge Dredd podcast. Yeah, we do. Uh, I have to put that together. I think I can make that happen, but um, we will keep you updated. See? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, Ugh. so. What is happening when I says, Jeff and I had a planning session like a month ago and we were on top of our shit yeah and then january happened oh my god fucking january man i swear to god so I, yes i don't know if you get the Warnellis newsletter jeff i i don't but actually but in last week's he said january was 77 days long <laughs> and i know so much what he said what he said <laughs> yeah. i'm like you're right january has been 77 days long it's totally true totally true <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, that's next week. Yes. Uh, Drock. Drock. Ah, this is so good. Spoilers, everyone. For the first episode, it's just going to be us going, Drock, for like <laughs> half an hour, just taking turns saying it, because I, I love that phrase so much. I, uh, I am, I'm going to say this now, and Jeff, you're going to have to hold me to this. Um, I do want to hopefully keep track of when all the fake future swears appear. Oh my god. Yeah, that would be great. Because Drock actually takes a while to get there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But things like Storm appear much earlier. Storm appears in there. There's 
Grud appears earlier, and Drock is interesting because of the way that that people start by doing things like my Drock or by Drock, where it's like later on when it just becomes Drock. Which makes sense, because no one says, my fuck. Yeah, exactly. Well, and see, that's it. There's just levels for other. Yeah. Well, they really should. Shouldn't they? By oh, fuck. Graham, which reminds me, everyone, I'm so sorry, but the fact that Graham McMillan actually uh, tipped us all off to the, the name of his on running, uh, long ongoing <laughs> porn series, My Anal Desire, uh, and yet coyly made it sound like he was talking about something else oh right our baxter building uh frequency recording yes my anal desire volume 18 look for it online now uh oh God, now i'm gonna start that <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh anyway maybe we we probably should have moved to closing comments much sooner certainly before i said that but um but too late now so graham we have show notes for this episode. God knows what they're going to say. They'll be at waitwhatpodcast.com. We have uh, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. Maybe waitwhatpod. I'll have to check. I can never remember. <laughs> Jeff, it's, it's waitwhatpod. Instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. You yeah. never remember. Yeah. Um, we have a Tumblr account, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com, and we are at waitwhatpodcast on Twitter. Jeff is on Twitter solo at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And this is a Patreon-supported podcast. Jeffrey, why don't you tell the lovely people what they've won? Indeed. Well, thanks to uh, the our lovely listeners and supporters over at Patreon, you have won a Judge Dread Case Files read-through starting next week. And you are also all winners of the 50-episode Baxter Building uh, which was our Fantastic Four read-through series. Uh, but honestly, we're incredibly uh, grateful and indebted to all of our listeners, uh, not just the ones who throw us extra dosh on Patreon, which we're really grateful for, but also just, uh, you know, the regular Joes who, like, uh, load up our chatter uh, onto their listening device of choice and use it to spend the hours upon god-awful hours of their day <laughs> that hopefully we're bringing some sort of joy to you i i or or alternately maybe we're almost like a ballast or a counterbalance and you have an amazing life uh but you feel you have to to do some form of penance and rather than just flagellate yourself you load up one of our podcasts and, and inflict us upon your ears. Whatever the reason is, we don't judge. We're just grateful. We're just grateful that you give us this opportunity uh, every week to talk to you and to each other. And we would love to um, thank, like I said, all of our listeners, but especially give a shout out to Empress Fadri, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for her continuing support of this podcast and for this very fragile butterfly that we call life itself. Graham? What a lovely, almost Starlin-esque way to bring things to closer, Jeff. <laughs> but if it was Starlin, that butterfly would be crushed underfoot. In the last panel, absolutely. Exactly. Yep. And it would be Thanos' boots, and then there would be a, like, a caption about the unholy titan laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>
I should have just left it with you laughing after I said that, and then you could be in the unholy title. No, but that's the thing. I'm sort of chortling around in the background. I'm all, I'm always the salacious crumb to your uh, your your job of the hut in that sense. Or what Thanos should have a salacious crumb, I think. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I, Look, leave it to Donny Cates. He's going to bring one back. Now that he's bringing off. Now, he's, now that Thanos has been killed off and is now immediately coming back in oh, of course. the galaxy, then you know it's only a matter of time before he gives him a salacious crumb. Yeah, I hope so. Well, that's that's almost what Cosmic Ghost Rider did, but is now also in Guardians of the Galaxy. And God help us, we'll probably be end up being looked back upon fondly as the breakout character of 2018 19 no but i mean he premiered last year not this year you know what i mean graham hello my internet just died like entirely yeah it all of a sudden it was like poor internet connection i'm like graham 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 jeff yeah hello no sorry can you hear me i can hear you i was doing my imitation of what happened when you disappeared? Oh, see, that's so funny. Yeah. When did I disappear? Because literally I got through the whole bayi and then I was like, Jeff, are you being quiet? Because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know when I dropped off. Uh, you said uh, you were like uh, the breakout character of 2019. And then I was like, no, Graham, because he premiered yeah, last he premiered year. In 2018. Yeah. yeah. Right. You didn't hear anything after that? No, not a thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I honestly kept talking. I shit you not for like another two or three minutes. <laughs> I got whole thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, please recapture the magic because God knows where we can do that because we're professionals. Go. Hilarious. <laughs> um, I honestly can't remember. Yo, you, 20, you said the whole 2018 thing. Yes. Uh, I honestly can't remember what I said. I'm just going to go into an ending instead. There you go. See, now I can't because I'm like, I'm in my own head. I'm like, what the fuck did I say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so annoyed. I don't, oh, God. Whatever, Jeff. Whatever. I, I give up. I give up. <laughs> you just start again for whatever. What nuts? What you're missing is we could cut off. And I totally thought that we finished the episode. Yes. I, I did the whole sing out thing. And then, only after talking for a reasonable amount of time, <laughs> realized that I was not actually on a call anymore. That's right. That's right. And so, Graham has been trying to recapture the magic and yeah, cannot. And, I and I literally, I blanked. I did a whole thing about Ned's week. It's going to be the year 2099, and we should all be ready for stretching the isocubes. <laughs> and then, I, I, no, really, I did a whole thing, Jeff. Oh, my God. And then I went, bye! <laughs> That's the there you go. That's beautiful. That is so. That's where it's gonna go. 